0: What's up, creepos? Lauren here. I'm um, bringing you guys another Freeloader Series episode from a podcast gone by. Back in March 2018, we recorded the West Memphis Three episode, which is probably my all-time favorite case. Um, it just it, it just boggles your mind trying to figure out who did this horrific crime to these three young children. Uh, a lot of times you, you feel like you have it pegged, like it's definitely this bastard, and then New stuff comes to light, and you watch, you read and you study more stuff, and you're like, no, it couldn't have been him. It could have, been, you know, is it a stranger? Is it one of the parents? It just it just drives you nuts. And the further we get away from this case, it seems like the, the less clarity there is, um, and it, we may never know who did this, sadly. But it's still, um, I got crazy studying this one. We read a great book, and I had the whiteboard out, connecting all these dots, and and, and yeah, we got crazy, man. We hope you guys enjoy this episode. We also hope you guys are enjoying fall, man. hope you guys are consuming tons and tons of uh, pumpkin spice, watching scary movies, getting into the season. Um, I want to say, if you are a Patreon member right now, we know that there was supposed to be a Patreon-exclusive uh, exclusive episode posted this past week. We had another mix-up with audio. Unfortunately, I lost the 30 last 30 minutes of my side of the audio. When I sent it to Michael, I thought we were good. We were going to get it posted uh, this past Wednesday. And he texted me, all bummed out, saying, dude, you didn't. the last 30 minutes of uh, your recording is gone. And um, we're not going to let that stop us. We just actually recorded the last 30 minutes over again. I think it went even better. And so that's going to be up very soon if you are a Patreon member. Just be patient. We've got it. Dennis Nielsen is actually who it's going to be. Uh, one of the most prolific uh, British serial killers. Creepy, creepy-ass guy, perfect for Halloween season. That is going to be posted very soon. Um, we hope you guys enjoy this episode, and I'll see you at the end for some advertisement and shout-outs for all the people who have written reviews and stuff on iTunes. So, enjoy West Memphis 3. Most of the time, he came up with the
1: stupid ideas. I guess I influenced him about as much as he influenced me, I guess. Most of the time, we didn't really set out to do anything in particular. We just started hanging around on whatever happened. This usually happens, sometimes good, sometimes bad. We're just sitting on the couch watching TV the night we were arrested. Convicted in what many labeled a literal witch hunt, no physical evidence against them, imprisoned for nearly two decades. They were the unusual kids in town, dressed in black, they listened to heavy metal music, they were goths before goths were, uh, were fashionable and so they were easy targets. The town was already convinced the three devil-worshipping kids were guilty.
0: As I look at all these dark clouds roaming in on me today, it can very easily remind me of May 5th,
1: 1993. Jesse, Jason, Damien, those names ring in my ears daily.
0: I still hate you, forever and a day, shall I still hate you.
1: We haven't had fairness in this case from day one. We haven't had fairness in this case from the day they got a search warrant. We haven't had fairness fairness from day one concerning the numerous motions we filed. There hasn't been a fair day in this
0: case. They're cold-blooded murderers. In your opinion,
1: it doesn't, doesn't add up that way In for my us.
0: opinion, and 24 jurors out of the state of Arkansas's opinion. I believe every person has a good side and a bad side. Right?
1: Yes. Well did you were those your words when you referred, <sighs> when he got written down here, he stated that there was no control of the demonic portion of people. He asked me, did
0: I think there were some people that that, that could not control that side? <clears throat> I said, yes, I guess there is. If he didn't get the answer he liked, he would go back and try to get me to say something else.
1: If he says something different, that'd be, he, he'd be lying about it, right? You're the one telling the truth. I wouldn't put it past him. You think he could have done it? About what they said? Yeah. You think he could have? Do you think Damien could have killed those little boys? They made it seem like he did.
0: Think what you might. Kiss my ass. All right, so we're doing the West Memphis three case. We're gonna start at the beginning, May fifth, nineteen ninety three. I was six years old. I was uh, I could have been friends with these kids if they would allow me because they were just a couple of years older. Nah, you
1: weren't cool enough. I wasn't cool. Oh You're, come on, you were totally a second grader. Get out of here. No, they were second graders. I would have no. been. I thought they were third graders. I would have been. No, they're second. They're eight years old. They're third grade. Second. Wow, they must have been held back.
0: Already arguing about facts in this my case. son's
1: eight years old and he's in third grade. Okay, maybe your your kids advanced. I don't know. Nah, he's not. <laughs> this is Arkansas we're talking. I about. love to death, but he's not advanced. <laughs> no, that being he's said, smart. Nevada's
0: new, Nevada uh, specifically Las Vegas' school systems are pretty crap. So
1: that's how I, that's how someone good. like me comes about. They're going to a brand new school this year, though. So
0: well, let's learn more about your kids, Michael. All right, and forget well, about the West Memphis Three here. They <laughs> <laughs> all right. So 1993 May 5th. Um, the small town of West Memphis, Arkansas, it's actually Memphis, Ar- West Memphis, Arkansas, even though Memphis is obviously Tennessee, but we're kind of on the border here. These two States, mm-hmm. small town, Bible belt. You yeah. could say a hick town. Definitely. You could say a lot of things. Uh, 99% white. Probably a slightly <laughs> lower education than the national average. Yeah. They um, don't very, very religious. Oh, extremely setting their, religious. setting their beliefs.
1: Um, Lower
0: income area for sure.
1: Yeah. This is a town to where you go through the motions even if you're not a believer. Right. You just, better, you best just, believe just to keep the heat off. You of best it. believe you're gonna end up in prison. Because it, it benefits everything in your life. It benefits your your business, you know, your connections. Had these your three jobs, had these three followed suit, this never would have happened. That's exactly right. You're absolutely right. If they would have conformed <clears throat> whether at least on the outside, right. If they would at least play church, mm-hmm. they would have been fine. I, I honest to God believe that.
0: Right. That being said, two out of the three, I don't think you were too far off from that, really. Like, Jesse, I guess, I mean, but he had issues. Yeah, but you roll with the dogs, you get the fleas, Lauren. <laughs> yeah. Okay? You can say that about Jason, because Jason yeah. seemed just totally normal to me, honestly, other than, yeah. you know, the black t-shirts. But we'll get, what are we getting
1: off track right Listen, now? he listened to you, too, okay? We're, if that's not a devil band, I don't know what is. We're st- we were starting from the beginning, and then we jumped to the end again.
0: So, May 5th, 1993, small town, West Memphis, Arkansas, that we talked about. Um, three boys are reported missing by their families. It starts with John Mark Byers. Um, he has a son named Christopher Byers Mm -hmm. who is eight years old and he, uh, has not come home. Right. And it's getting late. It's it's coming up on, on getting dark. Right. Um, he had seen him earlier in the day. Uh, he had actually, uh, seen him on a skateboard, on his stomach, skating down the road and actually. (laughs) Good idea as the parents do, they, uh, they fear for their, their children's safety and right. brought him back home. And, and he even told police that he had given him a few, what did he, what was the term he used? Swats or Probably licks? Licks. Yeah. He said he had given him a few licks, I believe with his belt yeah. or some yeah with sort the of belt. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of weird that your son's reported missing and then you're immediately giving up information that you, you know, but I mean, I guess that's forthcoming. You don't really also, want your. Also, I think
1: it's worth mentioning. It's his stepson.
0: Steps it is his stepson, yes. He but he had raised the kid basically from birth. Right. When he met right. when he met his wife, Melissa Byers, um, she had a different name at the time, obviously she from a former marriage. Mm-hmm. And he had raised this kid. Melissa was pregnant when they had met. And so he'd raised he'd raised Christopher from right basically birth mm-hmm. and looked at him as his own son. Yep. And so he's gone around looking already for Christopher and been able to unable to find him and he's now reporting it to the police, but he's also continuing to look. Yeah, he is. He's kind of almost gathering a posse. This is a small town because at the same time Two other kids around the same time within that night right, two of are, his friends. are reported missing, and they are all friends. There are three friends. Steve mm-hmm. Branch is also an eight-year-old. He's the son of Pamela, and uh, his stepfather is Terry Hobbs. Right. So you got Pamela and Terry Hobbs, um, the parents of Steve and Stevie Branch, and Michael Moore is also reported missing by his mother, Dana Moore. Um, his father, Todd, is out. He's a truck driver. He's gone for the night. He comes back in the morning to um, help with the search because right. the search continues through the night. Um. Yeah. So these three boys are reported missing. They'd last been seen. I believe the last person to see them was Dana. Was um Dana Moore's daughter Dawn, which is Michael Moore's sister.
1: Okay. she so was the last one to see him.
0: I believe so because Dana had sent out her daughter Dawn to go look for her son. Right. Because it was getting it was getting close to so dark. So she
1: must have found him. They. She and said touched that, base with. She or said something. that
0: she had seen him um around the area of the woods. I believe there's a there's a patch of woods <clears> called uh. Robin Hood. Robin Hood. Robin Hood Hills. Right. And this area is not too far from where they all live. It's kind of sketchy because it's close to a truck stop called, what, the Blue Beacon uh, truck stop, I believe. <laughs> nice. That's that's something as a parent. You know, you'd have a patch of woods, it's already kind of sketchy enough, and yeah. then you and get then a truck stop a with truck strangers stop. rolling through all the time.
1: Yeah, people just passing through, people have no connection to your town.
0: Yeah, parents would warn all the time about, you know, sketchy characters that would roll through, and, yeah. and so... Um, Dawn had also reported that she had seen uh, p- strangers coming out of the uh, the wooded area, three teenagers, two black uh, teens and a white teen, coming out of the, uh, uh, the area that she didn't recognize. She said that she thought that they were about 16 or right. somewhere in that range and that they had offered her a shot. Hmm. Um, strange characters. Shot? I didn't yeah. know about that. Yeah, so this is all part of the police report. Um, but Dawn had seen them. Yeah,
1: yeah. and Dawn had seen... Had and seen- this is how she identified these... These three teenagers, right. by the way. Right. Two black teens, one white. Right. right. I believe okay. she had a description of
0: the clothing of the white teen, but not of the black teens. I don't know. Hmm. Kind of strange. Yeah. Um, so the search is getting, getting, picking up steam. Like a lot of um, family members of the kids are, are now gathered together and friends and just strangers like hear that there's kids missing. They're riding right. around on quads and whatnot looking. And, Chris, uh, John Mark Byers is kind of obsessed with the idea of the woods he he knew that the last time the kids had been seen they'd been heading towards that area yeah he's and, a strange character and he is well, we're gonna hear a lot about him in this story yeah if you guys know about Westminster you know about John Mark Byers and oh god a lot of speculation about whether about whether he had something to do with this or not right he's immediately he's very theatrical Uh, yeah you could say that theatrical say dramatic that. granted this is a dramatic situation yeah but he's you get the do you get the feeling he'd be dramatic if anybody put a camera on him, no matter what the situation was. Right. He was the guy at church that liked to get up in front of everybody and sing and. You yep. know, he, you could have definitely seen this guy as he's, like a popular pastor. He could have been a...
1: Oh, yeah. He, he was very charismatic a cult leader. He could have been a cult leader. A I cult was leader. just about to say, he's the type of guy that when like the world ends and it's like taken over by zombies, he would be oh, like Negan. He, he'd be taking them. He b- would be like have a group of followers, <laughs> a bunch of redneck trash followers just right. doing, begging, you know, <laughs> right at his heels, just whatever he wants. Right. Now yeah. we have to talk about some other
0: police, um, some other police reports that had um, been received on this day as right. well. Um, a police a police officer, she was a female officer named Meek. Officer Meek okay. responded at 8:08 to a call. That was the call from uh, Jonathan or from John Mark Byers right. about his son being missing. So she responds to that, takes some notes, and then shortly after that, she gets a call to respond to a, a situation at a Bojangles' restaurant. Ugh, best restaurant, Bo- yeah. Have you ever had that?
1: Hell yeah. I've never it originated in North Carolina. Is it
0: fried chicken or what is it? Yes, it is. It's, it's like good? Cajun fried chicken. Yeah. Ooh. Biscuits. So supposedly from um, 829 to 842, she searched for the children, cruised the area, talked to several people, um, according to her court testimony. And then at 842, she was dispatched to this Bojangles restaurant where mm-hmm. um, the call basically stated that there was a disoriented man who had wandered into the restaurant. It was a black right. man. Um Covered in blood. Covered in blood, acting soggy weird. Soggy shoes. Walks into the women's yeah. bathroom, and there's blood on the walls. He leaves sunglasses behind. <laughs> and so Officer Meek responds to this, uh, arrives there at about 8.50, uh, takes information through the drive-through of the restaurant, does not go inside, does no. not take samples of the blood, does not take photos Because of she the also area. got
1: her occasion filet while she was there. Right. And a sweet tea. So she might as well just ask while she's going through. Right. So. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so her, her night was interesting because she
0: gets the yeah. call from Mark Byers, then she goes to the chicken restaurant, and then she gets a call for a, a, a home being egged.
1: Yeah, uh, these are so weird, these calls coming in, like, all at one time.
0: Yeah, that was at 9.04, uh, 4 p.m., and then she then takes a statement from Dana Moore at her house because they then the uh, Moores had called about their son being missing. Right. So, it just it just boggles my mind that she goes in response to Byers, John Mark Byers, about his son being missing, mm-hmm. and then minutes later she's responding to a, a strange man near the area. That well, keep in mind this distance. restaurant is walking distance from from the wooded area Absolutely. where potentially the boys were last seen near or Absolutely. headed to. Right. Um, and this guy is covered in blood and disoriented, and she
1: doesn't think to even go inside and check out the bathroom where he was in. Right. Where supposedly there's blood. And he was already gone. So it's not like she was uh, afraid of an altercation or some sort like that or waiting for backup. Like the guy was already left. Had this left this the gives
0: you an idea of how strange that the owner of the restaurant thought this was and how it may have been connected. Because the next day he actually calls the police department and says that they maybe should further investigate this. Yeah. Keep in mind, this is after the restaurant bathroom had been cleaned. So right. it was kind of like much to do about nothing, but they did have this, I, I believe they had already thrown the sunglasses
1: away too. Yeah. But they were still able to get some blood samples though.
0: Right. They were small blood scrapings, but yeah. at the time DNA hadn't really advanced much. So they could only make small connections a, and they needed a larger amount of blood yeah. in 93 than they could not use Not like that now. mattered
1: anyway, because they couldn't even keep up with them.
0: Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's that's keeping in mind that these police were at least adept enough to even keep the blood and, and not lose it. Right. Um <laughs> <laughs> that's awful. Unbelievable. The owner of the restaurant would call and and then he would give a, a better description to I believe the lead the chief inspector Gary Gitchell who would talk about more. Yeah. It was either him or one of the other police officers that responded and took a further report and then they said that this this black man who'd wandered to the restaurant had been wearing a sling. Um had hmm. supposedly had like some kind of a cast on his arm. Um man, and wa- and he'd wandered there on foot and left on foot. Very strange. Yeah. I mean, you think maybe the sling thing gives maybe a potential reason why he was bleeding?
1: Right. That's what I was just thinking. But you know, it's still it's just a large coincidence. I don't that- suspect I don't suspect him as much as I do other characters in the story. Right. I, I don't. Well, I mean, I, I think it's just kind of uh I think it's just kind of happenstance because if you hurt yourself and you're going to be looking for somewhere to clean up and then but if you murdered somebody and you're going to clean up, I doubt you're going to leave your sunglasses and blood all over the place. You're going to be right. You're going to be pretty paranoid about cleaning that up. I would think. At but least, I mean, you got to think about the down. crime
0: as well and the crime, the time, the time frame in this crime. Knowing that the kids that were uh, that were being harmed and killed in this situation were going to whoever killed them knew that they were going to be missed immediately and there was going to be police searching for them immediately. Uh-huh. And so if this thing, uh, so you're thinking he just gave ki- up? Talking about killing three kids. So you're thinking he just gave up? He was just like, "I don't give a fuck. I'm gonna get caught anyway." No, I'm just saying, like it, things get out of hand. Like if it was to say this guy, and maybe there was another person. There's things that point to there being multiple attackers of right, these children. Right. Uh, say it was this person, and and just things get out of hand. You're killing three people, you know, their kids. But at the same time, you've got to find a way to restrain three kids and then and murder them and then like hide their bodies in the fashion that they were hidden. Uh-huh. And and things just. Things just naturally get out of hand. But that being said, there was water available, so you find it So what it hard are you saying? To, you're saying he was disoriented? I'm saying it's like, it's the fact that he was all disoriented and bloody and, and near the area. So He just wasn't thinking tells clear, that's what you're saying. It's, it's a decent chance that maybe this person had something to do with it. I mean, it's definitely worth following up on and, mm-hmm. and taking blood
1: samples and all that. Yeah. It was never even said if he was a local, was it, or if he was a trucker? No one knew him, so it was definitely likely that he was from out of town. Yeah, and nobody would probably bother to ask either. And being a black man Because like I said This this town I'm not exaggerating This town's like Over 95% white Yeah Like if they That's probably why She didn't give a Clothing characteristic Of the quote unquote Black kids That she saw in the woods Because she just was like, oh, they're black. That's you, enough to identify them right there.
0: S- you get several reports of uh, black people being sighted in the area that look suspicious and whatnot, but you almost yeah. get the sense that it's like a fear of black people, just like yeah, it's a fear it's of no, Satanism. In there's this no column. real
1: description of this person. It's like, okay, well, what were they wearing? Right. How
0: tall were they? How long was their hair? People that want to interject th- themselves in this yeah. scenario, then maybe they just call up and say, I saw a black person in the area. It's like, oh, okay, uh, <laughs> thanks. Was there anything else that was suspicious about them other than the fact that they yeah, were black? Exactly. You know? That's Obviously, the, in this case, there was. This guy's covered in blood and he's acting well, weird he's well, right. going to yeah. the women's bathroom. But there were other calls that the police had received. You know, and then also yeah. the daughter, um, Dawn, who was reported seeing two black teens with a white teen coming out, and she only gave a, a physical description of the white teen and that's not what the I'm two saying. black teens. Yeah. And there was talk maybe that uh, the two other teens they weren't actually black, they were covered in mud or they had painted their faces black because that's actually what was put at the bottom yeah. of the report. Right. For this uh, it's common in these in these satanic rituals. And it tells you a little bit about the mindset of the investigators at the time that they thought during this a questioning of this, of this daughter, a sister of right. one of the victims to put at the bottom sometimes, you know, cults, they paint their faces black. It's like you already are
1: considering this a cult crime, right? Oh, automatically. That yeah. was the number one theory. And that was. Keep in mind, the boys hadn't even been found yet, and they're already. Yeah. So yeah. already cult. Yeah. Then That being said, the police,
0: a lot of their questions that they had had on paper that were part of the police investigation forms and everything that you can look up, they were their actually time that were written on them and date was like days later. So like either they took these reports at the time this was going on, that the search for the boys was going on and everything, they were talking to people, yeah, or they talked to these people and then they, two, a couple of days later, wrote down what they had discussed, which would be really sketchy if they had done that. Because, mm. I mean, obviously you're going to forget little details,
1: you're going to, you know, I'm I think really... they
0: said this and...
1: I really think that's what they did. I don't think they saw any of this. This precursor stuff is very important. They did a half-ass job, and granted, yeah. this was a, probably not something they're not used to. It's definitely something they're not and used to. And this police,
0: are... it's definitely important to note that this this uh, this police department was under a lot of scrutiny at this time. They were under investigation by state police, yeah, for a lot of corruption within their police department. They they had been stealing, um, confiscated weapons and drugs, yeah, and they'd been caught doing it. Many right, of them, many right. of the, um, they were under investigation by state police and they refused after the boys had come up missing, the state police called Gary Gitchell and offered their help with oh, the
1: investigation they're and they're like, no, 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 Gitchell <laughs> turned them down. We don't need you poking around over here. Right. <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly right. They just didn't want to, there's a lot of, I mean, there can be a lot of shady shit going down in a small town, you know, especially rural small towns. There's not, not many other, not many outsiders poking their head in. Everybody's kind of connected. Everybody knows everybody. It's easy to hide stuff.
0: Right. So the police reports are in. We have the weird situation at Bojangles, and um, you still have John Mark Byers, and he's kind of teamed up with Terry Hobbs, and they've been yeah. searching around. Um, also, Christopher uh, um, John Mark Byers has, um, has been going around with his, uh, his other stepson, Sean Clark, who's, uh, I believe, 16 years old. He's a few years older. Right. Um, and they have been searching the woods, and it's getting late and at a certain point, um, John Mark Byers reports that he told his son, Sean, to go home and go to bed because he had school the next day. Right. Then um, that's kind of disputed. Some people think that Sean was still out with him searching late into the night. I think John uh, Mark didn't return until like 2 or 3 a.m. He'd been trudging around in the woods in there, which looks – depending on how you look at it, it looks yeah. suspect. but. I th- when I really think about it, I'm like, as a parent, I'd probably be doing the same shit. I would. I would sleep. go to the area I would where it's, at all. no, hell no, and I'd no. be searching probably the woods because yeah. I know I would know that my kid had been going there a lot. <laughs> yep. And if if no one's seen them anywhere else, where else are they going to be? They'd they'd been known to have like a tree house or a fort or something in there. Yeah. Some kind of a hideout. Right. And we know they're sketchy characters because of the uh, truck
1: stop nearby. So you're just, you know, I know it is crazy that they even let their kids play over there in the woods, but right. You, you just in that small town, man, you don't think of anything like that happening. Everybody's looking out for everybody, you know, at the same time.
0: Yeah. So it gets late into the night. John Mark Byers finally returns home, but he's not able to sleep. Um, early, uh, a few hours later, like 5 6 a.m., uh, Michael Moore, um, his dad Todd had finally returned from his truck truck driving expedition, right. and they came along with Terry Hobbs and uh Pamela Hobbs as well. They They all showed up. To the buyer's house, you know it's it's now morning, right? Early morning, and they want to get the search back on. The police are also planning on having a wide wide uh, search for these. They've got like I don't know how every officer that they have available right. all, six be a yeah, all six of them part of this search. All six of them, and they do an ex- extensive search of this yeah. four mile or, or four acre patch of woods known as Robin Hood Hills. Right, and this is where they find their first clue, isn't it? Well, they search all day. They search. I mean, this this yeah. is really densely tree wooded. just oh, yeah. it's, And there's like a, it's basically, it was there for drainage. So there's like a, kind of a, like a muddy ravine that goes through it. Oh, yeah. Murky water with pipes and stuff. It's a sketchy ass patch, <laughs> patch of woods. Right. It really is. Yeah. And so they're searching this thing all day and they're not seeing anything and it's getting later in the day and they're, you know, thinking about calling off the search of the wooded area uh, when um, a guy named Steve Jones, who was a juvenile police officer, actually finds a, a children's shoe. It looks to be yeah. about the the shoe of a kid of the age of the uh, missing yeah. children, and so he finds this shoe and it's near. It's like on an embankment and it's near the muddy water. Yeah, and so he sees the shoe and he he uh, shows it to the other officers and Bryn Ridge, who was a, a police officer with the department, um, starts searching the water the watery area. Um, yeah, he immediately starts wading
1: in the water, doesn't he?
0: Yeah, I wanna say that uh Steve Jones when he was when he had found the shoe he like slipped and his foot went in there and he felt something in the water. Yeah. And so he told Bryn Ridge what he had found and showed him the shoe and Bryn Ridge then got into the water and started feeling around at which point he felt a body in there. Yeah. And they started pulling bodies out. I, I, I can't recall which one was found first. It doesn't really matter. Right. Um, they find all three bodies of the children,
1: Stevie Branch, Christopher Byers, and Michael Moore. Right. And then other, they also find articles of clothing that were like wrapped around sticks and yeah. stabbed into the mud. The kids, I believe, had been places. held
0: down underwater with the sticks somehow. They have been must have been somehow oh. tied to the sticks, because if you think about it, their bodies would have floated. They were somehow held underwater with these sticks as well. And some of them were known to be sharpened.
1: Oh, that's probably, they probably wrapped parts of their, no, no, because they were all stripped, weren't they? Yeah, they were all nude. nude.
0: They were probably tied to the There was a few articles of clothing that were missing. I believe two pairs of underwear were missing and like a pair of socks or something. But the boys were hog tied in a sense, not traditionally. They were hog tied where their right hand and their right ankle were tied together and their left hand and their left ankle, which tied together. Yeah. Which is not common. It's a a little. Also, all the knots were different,
1: which suggested. Two of the
0: kids were tied up the same. Yeah. And the third was tied up with two different I knots. I thought they were
1: all tied a little bit different though.
0: No, two were the, exactly the same
1: oh, okay. knots. Okay.
0: Um and then a third one of the other children were tied right. and, and both the hand like each side was different knots. So yeah. it, that kind of pointed to multiple offenders in a sense because if you think about when you tie something you probably do the same knot. Okay.
1: Oh, okay, so the kid that was tied different but his right hand and right foot were tied different from mm-hmm. his left hand and left foot. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's yep. what I was thinking cuz I knew there were three different style knots and. Right, you know exactly, amongst, but amongst
0: two them. were tied exactly the same. Both, right. both okay. their hands, both their ankles. Yeah, everything yeah. was. Um, there was uh, signs of just massive trauma to all of these children. There was, you know, they had stab wounds. One of them had stab wounds on his face. Right. There was um, what was later discovered to be bite mark on. Uh, I want to say Michael Moore's eye, Which um, was but a, it was originally called a belt, some sort of a buckle, right. like from yeah. like a lashing from a belt. But when you look at it like it always looked like a bite mark to me
1: yeah did it it did did
0: it not to you did no you see no i totally horrific think it did. i think it, i just
1: don't know how they missed it is what i'm getting at i don't know how you think that's not a bite mark. right well they
0: say if you look at it because they were looking at it 2d they were looking at the picture as yeah. a picture and they weren't considering the fact that your eye socket goes in right and so if you were to bite it would make kind of a square from the front it would look like a square but ultimately it was rounded because of the the depth of your eye socket right But, I mean, they were just, I mean, they were full of shit, honestly. I don't know if, like, maybe it was just a half-assed job by the uh, medical examiner or the police. I
1: don't, it looked like a bite mark. You could see, like, little teeth. you could see the indentions and then the spaces. Below his eye, you could see,
0: like, little teeth marks. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is a giant sign, and it's been shown time and time again, of some sort of a parental offense. Like, a lot of times you find bite marks on children where their mother had gone crazy on them and harmed them, they will bite their children. It's a very maternal, paternal type offense to a child, yeah. in my opinion. I don't think you do that to strangers very often. You know, like so if it's a sexual, I guess there's a sexual nature there could be. Right. But to me, it just says something about it being a family member. That's a big one to me.
1: Really? It really does, yeah. So you think only a family member would have bite? Who had the bite mark? Not necessarily. But was I it think Christopher? It, it was Christopher, wasn't it? No, I, I believe it was Michael Moore that oh, had the bike mark. Oh, okay.
0: Now Christopher Byers had, had the worst of the beatings. He had yeah. actually been mutilated. Yeah. Um, he had actually his penis had been um, his testicles had been remo- removed his scrotum had been removed, and then mm-hmm. his, his the head of his penis had been removed and it was just like a, a shaft with no skin. Right. And this is all you can you can you know, it's very graphic, but if you if you've seen the uh Paradise Lost films, they show all of this. Yeah. It's kind of shocking this what they show, man. It's
1: It's kind of important at the same time because it is. the
0: skill that it would take to do something like this. That's that's also disputed. Doesn't seem. That's been disputed as well because the chief the medical examiner Frank Peretti went on the stand. He said that it looked as though it would take a scalpel and some time for him to do this. Yeah. But then later on, the defense gets their own professional in the field and he says that this is not a profession this is more of a stabbing manner with a small a small knife and that it was done very
1: quickly and not in a professional oh. manner. And so there's a lot of dispute on that. So you mean the prosecution? No, the would the doubt def- him, right? Cuz that would go in the favor of the prosecution if they said that it was somebody with no expertise because then that would you be You would think but the no kids. the defense the Why defense the got def- their own expert later and said that this was this was I wrong. thought that guy was from the prosecution.
0: Wow. Well, no, because on the yeah during the during the defense, um, they
1: both they (laughs) during the
0: original trial, right? Um, The mutil the whole mutilation thing. The defense was trying to say that this would take a lot of time and a lot of work, and it was one of his reasons why that these three kids didn't do this in the dark and yada yada. It was done elsewhere. Yeah. Um, So the medical examiner kind of backed him up on that, and it was part of the defense. Yeah. But said, but much later, the defense um, defense attorney Dan Stidham. With help of the Memf- uh, West Memphis Three Also, uh, oh, the defense group,
1: brought both the experts in.
0: They brought in their own expert. He looked at him, and he's going, in my opinion, this is done really quickly. It's shoddy work. I wouldn't
1: have even let him testify. He
0: didn't testify. Okay, let, oh. look, this is well after. This is Arthur I've already oh. been locked up. Okay. This, this new uh, expert see, came in and said that okay. he's looking at these, and he's going, they were wrong yeah. in the original defense saying that this was done meticulously. It wasn't. Gotcha. Um so anyway so uh Christopher Byers was mutilated that some that points to potentially someone and he's having more of He the only one a, that was. He was the only one that was and he he actually died from bleeding out. He died from l- blood loss. Right. And the other two died from from uh drowning according right. to the medical examiner Frank, Frank Peretti. And he kept a lot of this stuff to himself. He didn't release stuff like he should have because he knew the magnitude of this case. Yeah. And so there's a lot of a little weirdness about Frank Peretti, the medical examiner. He's they took for a little ev- payoff. It took forever for Chief Inspector Gary Gitchell to get these reports on what had happened from the autopsy. Right. So that's kind of like where you go. You know, you start with all of the medical examiner's reports
1: on absolutely what happened to these kids. Was it, it a it sexual took him crime? forever, too. It took him forever to even get any of this started. So that makes you wonder too. It's like, what took so long? Right.
0: Time like, of these time bodies of death, were
1: still pretty fresh.
0: He it, Gary Gitchell like, didn't know time of death. He didn't know cause of death necessarily. I, I, maybe he knew t- cause of death, but he didn't know the like you know what was the a lot of the what was really done to these boys specifically. Right. Uh,
1: it, it was and, yeah. He was given and weren't there certain basically things nothing that had no they had no evidence of that were just that were. Rumors started either by him or by somebody else. Like, well, what we, happened was, you know, the disconnect said, between the state and local police. Right. How the local police did
0: not, uh, said they didn't want help from the state police. The state yeah. police had overheard the transmissions. Um, somehow they found out the details of the case. Right. And they weren't correct 100. They had. They were under the impression that all three boys were mutilated, and they they let the word out. And by the next morning, I was May already 6th, printed. Right. Or on May 6th or May 7th, a day after the murders, um, it was put in all the local newspapers and media that all three boys were some sort um, of—they were all mutilated, and that's where a lot of the— Didn't they find—didn't
1: they say that they had urine in their stomachs? Yes, that was also— But yet that was never tested or— Right, they didn't didn't take water samples from their stomachs. Yeah, no water samples. They just said that there was urine found in their stomachs, or at least I would, two like, of the there's, boys.
0: There's so much that leaves you wondering, like how much urine. Like, it, was it an amount where, like, if they had been swallowing water because they were drowning, but and someone had peed in the in the river or in that in that right. water recently, it was it that amount,
1: you know? Because I mean, that's it's more than that. I that's think, a right?
0: true, like, real sexual deviant crime to be, you know, have these boys be swallowing urine from whoever killed them. That just seems re- kind of far fetched to me it's yeah. it's potential it, it it's very likely that people pee in that water. You know, I mean I've never heard anyone bring this up. But maybe. it's very possible that pee, pee made its but way into that
1: water whether it was an animal or a human. But that's a natural stream, And that they though, swallowed
0: right? that water because they were drowning.
1: You know. Yeah, maybe, but that's like a natural stream. That nah, moving. It was It
0: drainage. It was stagnant. Was it stagnant? It, there, in some parts it was stagnant. It Uh-oh. looked stagnant where they were found to me. Okay,
1: well maybe then. Hell, it could have been fucking.
0: Or the, even if it was moving, it suit. could have. There still could have been urine in it, small traces. You know, yeah. like, how much amount? And you know, there's just so many that, things that the leave thing. you wondering.
1: The and fact so that that was never followed up just blew me away, though. Right. Like we need
0: to find out who's urine that. There is. was so much that had left you <laughs> hanging. Like later yeah. on in the uh, in the trial, um, Brian Ridge was brought Aggravates on the, the
1: st- fuck out of me. Right. Well, Bryn
0: Ridge was put on the stand later in trial and asked about the. Um, Bojangles restaurant in the blood, because they later did after being... This is pathetic. After okay. being called again by the owner of the the Bojangles restaurant, yeah. Bryn Ridge responded and got small traces of blood mm-hmm. and lost them. Lost them. Just lost, lost them. They were never sent to be examined. Never tested,
1: nothing. Never sent to be analyzed. And then it was just, oh, well. Right. Guess we'll just move my on. My bad. That, yeah. And that's literally what he said on the on the stand. Just, that was my fault. I lost them. yeah like, you got to be kidding me. Right. And so initially Chief
0: Inspector Gary Gitchell is, is kinda hampered. He's got a messy crime scene. It took the coroner two hours to respond. They weren't supposed to take the bodies out of the water right away. They were supposed to, you know, when you find that there's bodies in there, you're supposed to have it sandbagged and drained and collect the water there. Right. And get any evidence you can find out of that. They just pulled the bodies out, they left them sitting. It went from sixty degrees in the water to eighty degrees eighty degrees outside. You've got mosquitoes everywhere because yep. of the area and you're in the woods. Now there was Little to no blood found at near the crime scene on that embankment, which or is impossible water, for those type of injuries. Which seems impossible just for the Christopher Byers injuries alone. For the yeah. mutilation, it would it, and the fact that he bled out, you would have had, I would think, yeah. pints of blood. And the other boy stabbed in the face. Yeah. Oh, dude, it was bad. I mean, like, you never cut your
1: forehead. Your forehead bleeds forever. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right? Yeah. It'd be there it would be a shit ton of blood.
0: Yeah. They found that it was a serrated knife. Um uh, because there was like little spots where there was right. you know, indentions that that represented a serrated knife. Right. Um, so yeah, he's hampered by just what little evidence is found at the scene. Whoever, whoever did this, did a good job of cleaning it up and they tried their best to disguise the body. So it was actually kind of impressive that the bodies were found as soon as they were. If it right. weren't for that shoe, who knows how long it would have been before oh, people went into the water and actually started searching parts where there was water. And it would have been too late. Yeah, it might've been, been days too late. or well, it's more. still too late, apparently.
1: <laughs> right. To have solid evidence, but.
0: Yeah. And so he's still waiting on the chief inspector's. Um, medical examination review and everything. and Mm -hmm. and, uh, So they start just doing interviews of anybody and everybody, but they don't interview the families enough, in my opinion, which I think that's an issue with these small towns. You know what I mean? Where the police, they know everybody. They know the... Right. Everybody's
1: on a first-name basis. Yeah, so it's like they don't
0: want to... Like, I I feel like part of the problem was that they really didn't want to cast any suspicion on the family members, which is understandable, but it's part of your job. Well,
1: what will they say at church, Lauren?
0: Right. Honestly, like, (laughs) they really didn't extensively question any of the parents. No, they didn't. They just got like, it seemed like they got quick statements and they just assumed their innocence.
1: Yeah. Their houses should have been searched. The boys' rooms should have been searched. When
0: you have a crime like this to a child, like the initial, like the first place to go is the family members, right? Absolutely. So, and, and John Byers, John Mark Byers was known to be he was a violent man. He had a violent past he'd, yeah. and he'd had, had he admitted, had admitted shady past. He did immediately admit, admitted to the police that he had abused his kid that day. It, it depends on your outlook on abuse, I guess. If you believe right. in swatting and spanking or whatever, but it seemed like it was overboard because later they talked about they had found some some lines on Christopher Byers that yeah. were believed to be from him that were like kind of like welty lines from his so-called
1: um, um uh, yeah, so apparently he used some sort of a studded belt. It seemed like, yeah, which and is, there was also markings on the bodies that, is pretty ridiculous, were initially
0: disputed as as uh, studs, right, on all three boys, and so it, it, there's just there's things that it just seems like they really didn't question the family enough or like press hard enough on some of these characters, like right. Terry Hobbs, who's also later found to be quite a violent man himself, right, um, but the the background of John Mark Byers is something that it was kind of hidden. And put away. He had been in and out of uh, the court systems. He had gotten a lot of help uh-huh. from judges and police. He had done
1: a lot of things in the past that. That's a huge understatement. Were swept under the rug. Didn't he, he, uh, he default had, on his child support from his first wife and then it was just all forgiven? There was years back when during
0: his first marriage, where there was a police response um, during a dispute with his wife, where mm-hmm. he the police officer responded and showed up to wherever he was living, walked in, and he was standing over his wife who was screaming, and he had some sort of an electric, yeah, like a taser, uh, a taser type thing, and he was threatening her life. Yeah, and he was he was jailed for this, and the the charges were later dropped because he had this intertwined relationship with the police. He'd he'd become some sort of an informant. He was some sort of drug informant for a while. He was one of those guys that knew everybody. Yeah, you know what I mean. And so, like, he had these relationships with the police where, like, all this suspect stuff he would be doing. He'd be he he was known to steal from. Like, he worked for a jewelry store with his wife. Yep. And he went up under charges from from the owners of the store for theft, and those were dropped. You know, it's just like he he tried to
1: open his own jewelry store for a little while, and that failed. Right. That was shady. I think he was just using it to launder money. Right. And so the police really don't
0: look hard enough into them they don't get they don't really press them, but they are kind of like searching for outsiders and anybody weird
1: in a sense right. and well, in, in a way, John Mark is kind of leading that that charge John Mark Byers yeah, he's kind of leading that charge of let's find him it's got to be a devil worshiper like he's kind of well, that's the whole area. Yeah, well, I mean, but he's kind of I leading mean, it though. Think,
0: I think once the state police had, had let the information out that all three boys were mutilated, that it's, it became this perverse obsession with this very religious town. Yeah. They had this very creepy uh, like it's infatuation because- with mutilation,
1: and it was like. Immediately, the devil's work. You know, because that's that's what you default to, man. When you're raised in that type of area, you just default to that. You don't believe that that evil just resides in everyone. You you can't. You can't believe there has that a parent to be an could excuse. do this. There has to be an excuse. It's like, oh my God, I don't live in a place where this could happen. There has to be an outlet. Oh, okay. Let's let's just say it's the, it's the Satan. It's got to be Satan, right. right? He's not from here. He he doesn't. You know, he doesn't have any power over me because I'm a, I'm a Christ follower. So I'm not that afraid of him. But he get to other people. Well, this is near the end of the Satanic Panic, and there was already talks of a
0: cult being in town. There was a lot of rumblings about this and that, and people being seen in those woods um, doing seances and and like sacrificing animals and this and that. And, And there was no real proof of any of that. No. But it didn't matter. The fact that their were boys were found in the woods and then information got out that the three of them were mutilated, I think the police just latched on and the media immediately latched on to this being a satanic, ritualistic killing yeah. of these three boys because boys being sacrificed represents more power for the s- satanic religion or whatever. Right. The fact that it was a full moon, like these things started the younger to kind of add were, up.
1: The, yeah.
0: yeah, these things started, started to kind of add up. And in comes a guy named Jerry Driver who was a juvenile probation officer and had been tracking the whereabouts of some youth in the area for a long time and had some like very strong beliefs in in uh, cults and yeah, thought that they were alive and well and thought that a few members of of this community could be responsible for this and he gave a, a handwritten list to the police um, i believe he gave it to Gary Gitchell or yeah. one of his underlings a list and said that
1: the, the the perpetrators of this crime are on this list right and just just this is out of nowhere this man has no evidence Right. Whatsoever. This is just like, hey, these are eight people that, you know, I followed around and they do some weird stuff. So right. check them out. This guy in my mind is
0: maybe probably one of the largest driving forces behind these three kids getting locked up. Jerry mm-hmm. Driver handing them those lists. They just kind of confirmed their ideas of this being a ritualistic killing and that some weird youth that were up to no good in the yeah. area it's were. It's like all the
1: police needed. They just need a little push in that direction. And then.
0: Right. That's all they need. Now, one of the ringleaders of this weirdness in the area, and probably the one the police had their eye on the most and couldn't stand, was da- uh, a young man named Damien Eccles. So at the time, what was he, 17 at the time? Um, I think he was 18. 18, 18 at the, at yeah. the time. Um, they interview him on May 7th, which was uh, a day after the boys' bodies were found, two days right. after they, they went missing. Mm-hmm. They interview him um, along with his then-girlfriend, Domineer Tier. Or Domin- Dominie Tier, and yeah. um, they interview him at, at the West Memphis Police Department. And during this interview, he he, probably, he was being young and dumb, in my opinion. He,
1: he wasn't helping because himself. He,
0: he really wasn't. He had heard he heard through the media that right. these boys were mutilated and this and that. And so they're asking him these leading, leading questions about mm-hmm. you know who do you think did this, what type of person would do this, and he's right. giving all of these. Profound opinions. Right. Because he, he was a, he was, been, yeah. he'd been
1: reading into all kinds of dark Right, subjects. You're talking about a boy who's into this kind of thing. He's yeah. In, he's not doing it, but he's, he likes the stuff. I mean, like you right now listening to this podcast. Right. Like you obviously like this kind of shit, and he is no different. Right. Like, he just looked into this kind of stuff. He knew about rituals. He studied all sorts of religions, yeah, including Christianity, mm-hmm. Catholicism, and Wicca. He, yeah, Wicca, which, which is, is more a, naturistic than a, anything yeah. which we've talked about in the past. But, dude, you mentioned Wicca in the Southeast. Oh, yeah, especially You're gonna get in the get some early funny 90s. funny looks, man. Still now. Mm-hmm. I mean, people pass by the, like, everybody knows where that Wicca church is, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, mm, don't go over there. You're right. Like, it's just, it's so misunderstood. It's just ignorance. Right. It's nothing but ignorance. Well,
0: so they interview him, and then he's saying that, you know, this person that who would who would do this would most likely um, feel some sort of power from doing it. Obviously, they wanted to do it, so they felt power doing it, mm-hmm. that they, uh, probably mutilated the boys and that they were killed because it was uh, taking life from children was, right. you know, he says all these things that, you know, are just kind of
1: vague. It's like, dude, you're not a fucking criminal minds consultant over here. Like, yeah. He acts like you some sort of <laughs> FBI pro- profiler. You're not helping your case. I right think now. Was, he
0: had a huge ego, this kid. And he had some he had some severe mental issues. So let's go into those. Okay. So they interview him, and it doesn't look good. Especially something that they use against him later, because I think he was. I think he really thought he was helping them.
1: He did at first. Yeah. Because I mean, okay, you take this either two ways. You take it one where he's so innocent that he's confident and he can say whatever he wants because he thinks he's helping, or you're like. This kid is so fucking guilty, and he does not care. Like yeah. this is what he believes. He truly believes that he's gonna have a place in hell, which he never mentioned. Right. Never mentioned that he was a Satanist or right. anything like that. Right. And they took the latter, obviously. But me and you listening to it, we're thinking like, okay, this kid's so innocent. Right. That he's <laughs> he doesn't feel he doesn't feel endangered by telling you what he feels about the case. Right. Well, Damien had a, a severe background of
0: mental health. Issues. He had severe depression, and at this point, where the police are interrogating him or investigating or questioning him, he's actually on full disability from yeah. the government for a mental disability. Like he had, right. he had applied for it and given proof that he was suicidal and yeah. even uh, homicidal and had violent thoughts and this and that. And he was, um, wasn't he on an antidepressant he was. at the time? And so he actually was getting like $280 a month or something from the
1: government. Right. And this combined with being dirt poor as well. So like kids were picking on him at school. So he he wanted to find a way. I think he, I don't know. I think he took the interest in all of these these strange religions and not, not strange religions, but in all these stuff together. It's mm-hmm. kind of weird, the stuff that he would fit together, you know, like the different right. the different cultures and things. I think he was doing that because he was like, it just kept people away. Oh, yeah. No, he's, like, he said that he would carry gonna the gonna dog. If I'm going to be different, I'm going to be different. He said that he was picked on when he was younger, and he
0: decided at a certain point it was easier just to keep people away by being weird than to deal yeah. with them. So that's like part of the reason why he
1: started carrying around a dog skull. He said that he just found it. And you, you see that with some kids where they think, like, it's like if they get picked on for trying to be cool, then mm-hmm. they're just like, well, fuck it. Yeah, I'm just going to be completely weird. weird. At least I'm controlling what you pick and on. And maybe me I'll for. find
0: a few weirdos to hang out with. Yeah, that are exactly. In the same boat as me. And he, he managed to do that. Yeah. And so some about, more about his background, though, because we really don't want to skip over the fact that, you know, we're not completely writing off the idea that Damien could have been a part of this. Right. Because he did so some severe... I mean, he was manic-depressant. He was in and out of mental institutions when he was younger. He had a criminal history. I mean, he... he could have had a blackout.
1: He could have. He could have had a blackout.
0: He could have had a, a manic episode where yeah. he felt like God and, and, and did this. You he know? could have. Absolutely. Hundred percent. And so, some of his background, um, he had he had a girlfriend back in uh, a few years back, like one of his uh, first girlfriends, mm-hmm. whose parents couldn't stand him, and supposedly he made threats towards their uh, her parents after the girl. They forced the girlfriend to break up with him, right? And at which points, they their story is that he had made threats that he was going to kill them, kill their daughter, and this and that. Um, he then started dating her again, and she ran away with him, and they were held up in some like trailer that was abandoned, and they got caught there, and they got yeah. They got arrested for burglary and lewd acts because they were found pantless at the time. Right. Um, there was they basically they were squatting in a, in like an abandoned home, and so he got jailed for that, and then he ended up in a, a mental institution. The family for a short time the uh, uh, his family moved to right. Oregon. Um, his parents had admitted him for threatening them as well. Yeah. Um, he hated that. And this is this is uh, Jerry Driver's kind of his probationary yeah. officer during this whole time, and he's saying things to Jerry that are very concerning to uh, him. yeah. To yeah. say the least. You right. know, Jerry believes this dude is capable of some really scary things. That's why he gives this list mm-hmm. because um by the time that these kids come up missing, Damien has since returned. He got released by the Oregon every time he was in an institute, yeah. mental institution, they would he would act completely normal and they would say, okay, you know, you're, you know, after like a short amount of time, he was acting so out of the norm or, or in the norm, I would say. Right. He was he was not showing any signs of someone who should be locked up
1: that's why i think he's innocent i like i don't think he's really like that crazy I think he, like, he you just, think he liked the image of being a weirdo more than he yeah, liked he was actually like being just weird. leave me alone he just wanted to be left alone and he figured that if, and i think he also
0: liked messing with authority figures too like he got off oh on, well yeah you even see during the that's trial kinda, when he doesn't think that there's no way they're going to lock him up because they don't have any evidence you yeah. see him in the trial like smiling smiling laughing and like
1: but that's part of being a teenager i know too, at that's my time. point is like he, yeah
0: he liked fucking with authority figures. Yeah. He knew how serious they were taking everything and he thought it was absurd mm-hmm. because they had no evidence that he had done this and they yeah. just lo- they just were putting him on trial for doing nothing and he was calling it a second Salem and all this stuff. Yeah.
1: And so Sitting yeah, I'm smoking with, a cigarette looking.
0: <laughs> I'm totally with you on that. I, I'm totally with yeah. you in that like I think his own real true personal beliefs is like he ha- he had thought there he thought there was good and evil, but yeah, he just likes studying history and
1: he was different than everyone in the area, no right. doubt, but I think he was mainly harmless. Right. He just enjoyed Stephen King and, you know, different novels like that. I'm... He would find weird books at the
0: at the local library that were put on sale for a dime because yeah. no, nobody else wanted to be seen reading them. <laughs> yeah. He would buy them and read them and, and form his own opinions. He said that one of his beliefs at the time was that, like, why do we know that our God is the God? Like, that type of, you know, when you're right, a teenager right. and you start questioning everything you've been taught, that's what he was in. Oh, don't you dare. Right. <laughs> And so the the Oregon um, Institute had said, you know, you're you're good to go. You're like, you're released. And so right. he went back to Arkansas um, without – I think
1: his parents for a little while stayed in Oregon, and he went back to Arkansas. Yeah, he hated Oregon. And lived with, like, his – you know, another family member, an uncle or something. Which is strange. You think he would like Oregon being as, like, liberal-minded as he was and how different –
0: Right, you think, yeah, he, why would he want he go would, to go back if he would maybe he liked chance. being the outcast, that's maybe probably why he wanted to go back I think
1: outcast. it was just friends, I think he just missed Jason, he missed his girlfriend,
0: yeah, so jason baldwin Baldwin was at the time his his best friend, and they'd right. been friends for years, and they pretty much did everything together. Jason Baldwin introduced like... him to Metallica, actually, and he introduced Baldwin to Pink Floyd, which I thought was interesting,
1: yeah
0: Because, <laughs> I mean that that's yeah. a more pink Floyd's more eclectic drug using type of you yeah. know it's not as like. Dark and heavy as like Metallica is, right, opinion. right. And so it kind of says something there.
1: Does it? I think Baldwin was more the metalhead, honestly. Yeah, Baldwin was that quiet kid that you might have to worry about. <laughs> 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 he seemed like the just the little like do gooder henchman type friend, but he—I don't know. I he feel see. like he. He would uh snap on some kid and like stab him with a fork in the cafeteria <laughs> or some shit, you know? But he had like n- But I don't think he did this.
0: No, because I mean he had literally like he was a he was an average student. Yeah. He was his parents actually like, actually above average student. His mom loved school. him, like yeah. teachers loved him. I mean he was he was he'd been in some like little petty things, like I think he stole candy from a store. Like super shit. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And him and Damien, like this is the early nineties, there's nothing to do. They would just wander around and get into weird stuff. Yeah. <laughs> But nothing That's that ever they showed describe, any, they're like,
1: We never knew what we were going to do. We would just...
0: They had no money. So they would <laughs> go to like concerts and hang out outside and like try to meet girls and right, stuff. Right, right. You know what I mean? And they were the type that would like print out covers of CDs and like use them as posters on their wall. They would like yeah. print them, and like tape <laughs> them together. and You know what I mean? They Probably yeah. smoked some weed when they got their hands on oh, it. That yeah, type of thing. Sure. For sure. But, but Jason
1: th- seemed like such a, such a, just a decent kid to me, man. He, I, all the way through. All his interviews. When you look at this kid, it's like, there's no way. Man. Right. Yeah. I mean,
0: I, you hate to judge a book like that, like without really knowing a person, but like all signs for me, like just the <laughs> sense I get when I hear him talk, I'm just like, yeah, I'm with him. Like there's like, no way. This
1: kid would not hurt a fly.
0: Like, and then you hear fucking Mark Byers, who is like lying every second of every day. And he's a different person. Like when the camera's on or he's different when the cameras yeah. are off, he's different around his wife. He's different around the cops. He's, he's different, different around, at church. He's different with every person he he's just yeah. I, don't, yeah I would say he becomes what they want him to be but i don't even know if that's what the right thing he becomes just a caricature all the
1: time he and is. it's like and he's hiding something I don't dark. have a
0: doubt that he was capable of doing this because he was he was already shown such violent tendencies the cop that responded yeah. to that that uh threatening and like and of his former wife right. said that the things he was saying he was saying that the cop heard him saying while he was standing over his wife oh, made ew. him believe that this was truly capable and there was people all the way To the end, after these boys were convicted, that kept coming forward and saying, I've totally
1: believed Mark Byers is capable of this. What about in the interview, um, in the documentary? Where he's shooting the the pumpkin and the and the milk jug oh, and stuff yeah. and that that speech right there that he goes on yeah you're talking about Paradise Lost yeah and Paradise Lost if you guys the first one definitely check out the documentary yeah this is the first one
0: big revolver I don't yeah. know if it's a 44 mag or whatever it was but he had like round slugs that were not your typical right. projectile and they were untraceable
1: because every slug was a little bit different yep and, and he's he he saying that's that. a good thing like you yeah. couldn't trace these bullets you couldn't trace these bullets and he's talking about how he would shoot them but. In the book we read, uh, "Devil's Knot." Who wrote that? "Devil's Knot" by Mara Lev- Mara Leverett, uh, the true story
0: of the West Memphis Three. Yes, excellent book. It's pretty. It's pretty non-biased, really. I think it's probably more. I'd say in, it in, had a slant towards them being innocent. It but did. I mean, she used a lot of evidence. <laughs> but to But then show again, that,
1: if you just use the evidence, it's going to feel like they're innocent. But if you have any common sense. She, all
0: the information we got about his uh, about uh, Damien's background. Yeah. And like all the negative stuff about him that that makes him look suspicious came from this book as well. So she she yeah, just displayed the facts, but her you could tell her opinion was that they were innocent, right? And you, I don't think there's anybody that would say that they got convicted with actual like no. In in most courts in this country, they would not have been convicted.
1: Absolutely but not. Just lack of evidence. Perfect storm and of time and place and right. But real quick, while I brought up this book. <laughs> I was talking about the uh, John John Mark speech. Yeah. Um, in the book, the author had said that she spoke with the, uh, I guess the producers of the HBO of the documentary. That's mm-hmm. who did the documentary Paradise Lost, and they said that they had to cut that scene because it, he oh, just yeah. went on and on and on. And when they played that scene to the wives, to, the, to their wives, mm-hmm. they literally had to walk. O- their wives couldn't even watch it. Yeah. Like that's how sickening it was. They're, I guess them and their wives were the only ones that had seen. Well, that,
0: HBO followed the him the whole into thing. the into the into uh, into. Uh, Robin Hood Hills, where the yeah. boys were murdered, followed him in there, and he was going on this this I, diatribe. I want to see it. I want to see it on I, this long diatribe in yeah. his overalls, and 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 later in in Paradise Lost Two Revelations, he's mm-hmm. out there and he's like sticking sticks into the ground with the caution tape and like lighting them on fire, and they're representing Damien and and Jason
1: and yeah. This, and, this guy, he either loves the cameras, or he's got some. There's more. Issues. There's
0: more we're gonna get into. In a bit about him and his suspicion. I mm-hmm. mean, so basically the, the police interviewed Damien and it doesn't look good. We went into his background and and why – I mean you can see why he ended up on a list, on Jerry Driver's list. But at the same time, the police seemed like they had already – the second that they interviewed him, they had made up their mind that he was a part of this. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's yep. just a matter of now being able to – because he w- he he was completely unwilling to say that he had any part in it. He denied completely because – as we believe he didn't have anything to do with it, but right um, yeah, so I mean, he's saying that he was giving them information on the type of person that might do it, but he was you know he said that you know he had he had an alibi that he was hanging out with Jason Baldwin, and they were at like Jason's uncle's house, and Jason was like mowing the lawn, and they were just here and there, and they were seen by people during this time, right, you know, so the the police had also uh, talked to Jason, who said the same thing, corroborated Damien's story about where they were and, and, who, and who they were seen with, but the police you know, really didn't care right. So they interviewed Damien a couple times. They interview him um, him again on the 9th um, and on the 10th, and they're breaking like a lot of rules and, and laws of the police and the rights of, of this potential suspect right. because they're refusing to have his lawyer be there even though he's requesting a lawyer mm-hmm. over and over again. And basically um, his mother, fearing that he's been at the police station all day, being held by them, questioned, um, calls a lawyer, actually calls a lawyer. The lawyer shows up, to the police station and is refused and says that the police station's closed. You know, this is the kind of stuff that's (laughs) going on.
1: Yeah, it's shady stuff, man. They're ramrodding these kids.
0: Yeah, and so the police are kind of desperate at this point That um, in that uh, Gary Gitchell had sent a letter to the uh, chief examiner or the medical examiner, Frank Peretti, saying that, you know, we really have our head in the sand with this case. We need something from you. And so, just like yeah. it seems like there's a lot of pressure on them, they're panicking right here. They're they're panicking. Is, this is the panic. They've already made their mind up that this is a cult crime. That there's some weirdos like right. Damien Eccles that, that had done this, and mm-hmm. they kind of already pretty much assumed Damien did it. They right. want to prove it, but he's not telling them that they did it. Jesse Baldwin's not telling them that they did Jason, it. Jason, not. yeah, Jason. Uh, Jason Baldwin's not telling them they did it. Um, now another name on their list, and someone that they had known to casually, occasionally hang out with Baldwin. And Eccles mm-hmm. was a kid named Je- uh, Jesse Miss Kelly. And this kid, Jesse, Jesse's an interesting character. He is. Um, also an outcast himself, but. Um, and it,
1: for a different reason, though. Yeah. Kid, he was a little slower. Super,
0: super um, poor family. Right. And um, very. Uh, Uneducated. Slow. Very slow. Yeah uneducated um, but just has mental deficiencies like School he wasn't a big focus for for his family was, well, it, it was very hard for him he had yeah. an iq of in the low 70s approximately yeah. 72 or 73 he he just yeah i mean he had very so severe for writing. that
1: reason he fought a lot and he you was a, a tough ass kid he had a lot of reading and writing <laughs> issues and got into a lot of fights he was yeah,
0: yeah i mean that was kind of how he made friends we were they joking said, about it before the show they like said he the would,
1: only person he would not fight was his dad
0: right he would fight family members to his dad's amusement. Um, yeah. He would like throw up beer bottles and punch them in the air and try to break them just for it to impress people. He was yeah, that type it's of a party trick.:
1: Yeah, hey, watch yes. <laughs> Hard,
0: hard-nosed, <laughs> redneck, uneducated kid, yeah. that liked violence for fun and he had a lot of uh, violent outbursts, like he would get angry yeah. and just punch holes in things. and
1: yeah, they would refer to this um, back there, they would refer to this as "all boy." Right. In quotations. Yeah. <laughs> that's the excuse you give. Oh, he, oh boy, that's all.
0: Yeah, so they pick him up and they talk to him. him and his dad and they tell his dad that they're going to go ask him some questions. Right. And they make it seem very harmless and they even kind of allude to a $35,000 reward if he's able to give them information leading to whoever did this which was pretty shitty cuz they knew that would play to to their they knew exactly what know, they were doing and they there's family, even
1: what they, that's life changing for them 35 grand there's right. even
0: talk about you know if you give us information your dad can buy a new truck you can get your dad a new truck yeah. with that 35000 yeah and so that's how they start this thing and they take him off and his dad allows him to just you know they don't officially have his dad sign any forms or anything but right. his dad watches him go off to the police station and they read him his rights but they don't have a parent apparent He's only sixteen. At no the time. parent there. No lawyer no there. No parent signs off. He waives his rights. He waives his rights, and they start questioning him for twelve, around twelve
1: hours there, pounding this kid. Real and quick, this is a kid who doesn't know who Bill Clinton is. Yeah, he didn't know who the president was in the mid '90s. Yeah, when Bill Clinton was president, and wasn't he from Arkansas? Yeah. <laughs> I want to say um, the Clintons are I'm from Arkansas. I'm pretty sure Bill yeah. Clinton was from Arkansas. I think at one point he was like, uh, wasn't he the governor of Arkansas? <laughs> yeah. I think so. He this, he did not know who Bill Clinton was. Yeah. Just to give you guys kind an idea of, of what, an idea of how here. disconnected he is, he did not know what a lawyer was. Right. Now, what's super sketchy? And I, I mean,
0: on top of everything we've already talked about about this, the local police department's mm-hmm. practices about questioning these people with no lawyer present, with no parental. Um, Waivers signed about you know a sixteen year old being questioned for hours on end. Right. Um, they didn't record the first. Now I've heard many different numbers. I've heard five hours. I've heard twelve hours.
1: Uh, yeah. It was
0: all day. They were they were questioning yeah. him. Well, and, they were conditioning him. But yeah. But ahead. but yet there's only forty six minutes recorded. Right. And it was the last forty six minutes
1: where they got what they wanted. Well, they had to make sure they get his story straight.
0: Right. Because sure his they story was all his over. The, story even in this last forty-six minutes in this recording, right. his
1: story was all over the place. The times were all over the place. Huge details too. We're not talking about just little mishaps like oh, maybe three, maybe three thirty. No, we're talking about like completely nine a.m. times a day. So his the gist of it is he tells he basically tells them that he was present during
0: this murder. He says that um, that uh, that Jason and. Uh, Damien. Damien had called him in the morning and right. said, "You know, we're gonna go. We're gonna go hang out and do this or that. Meet us mm-hmm. at the woods." And he says that he met up with them at nine a.m. and immediately the police start saying, "Are you sure it was nine a.m.? You know the because those the eight those year old kids boys were in went to school at that time. Yeah, yeah." And so they start kind of like in a very weird way. You have to listen to it to really understand. We
1: can't. They they put we, words in his mouth. They say, "Well, are you sure it wasn't this?" Or they they'll ask a question. And they'll add him, details in the question. They're so giving he'll him repeat it back. They're giving they, him the answers yes. to the test,
0: and then you got to figure he's exhausted. They've been burnt. They've been um, basically two trained police officers who've been in the business for a long time yeah. are working with a kid with a 70 IQ. It's very reminiscent of making a murderer.
1: Oh yes, the nephew.
0: Yeah, very very similar situation where they're they know what they're doing. They're leading him on. They're they're giving him the answers to the test, and they know that he's dumb enough to go ahead and roll with that. He's trying to get them to like basically get off his back. What do I have to tell you to yeah. get out of here? Because he doesn't realize that people can be convicted without any evidence. Right. He's, he's thinking the same thing Damien was when he was being interviewed. Yeah. Damien's a little slicker and he knows not to say that he was there or anything like that. Right. But he's thinking, you know, I'll tell him whatever gets them to leave me alone and I'll go home and you know they can't prove that I did anything because I didn't do it. Exactly. And so he tells them basically... Uh, yeah, we was there, uh, you know, and they, first he says nine AM and then they finally beat him down until he says yeah. that it was in the evening. Yeah, it
1: was like maybe three and how then do you get nine AM and t- well, I don't know. And then <laughs> he he gives this silly story
0: of like, yeah, um we was in the woods and these three kids were there and, and then all of a sudden Damien starts beating on this one real bad and starts screwing him and stuff and it's like how do we jump from Yeah, he he just that started escalated him, quickly. Yeah, he
1: started beating him and then he just started screwing him like And if you see Damien, no other details here like Damien doesn't look like he gets in a hurry for shit. Right. He seems like, like the most laid-back, like, chill kid ever. Does he not, though? Doesn't d- seem like he gets wound up about anything. He does, but we talked about him being manic-depressant and maybe like maybe a Yeah, manic but we episode, didn't see but- any evidence of that, though. No, we I mean, didn't. Maybe he did, but he never said anything that made me think that he just goes off the wall or has these crazy hyper-episodes. or Right.
0: Well, on the recording, that's what he says. We was there, and Damien yeah. started punching and beating on this one real bad and then started screwing him and stuff. That's... Yeah. That's, that's his how same, it is. And it. then Jason Baldwin um, grabbed the other one and started d- pretty much doing the same, started beating on him real bad. Right. And then and he, this, he says that one of the boys, I want to say it was Michael Moore, tried to run yep, away and yep. he chased him down. Um, he admits being a part of this now. Well, he says that's his only involvement, though. But that's, in, that's, that's enough. That's huge involvement. That's 100% enough. Because right. if not, in the police's eyes, Michael Moore gets away and he's not dead. He so you're now, you're now on the hook for murder as yeah. well. You're in a compass. Yeah. And so that's how unwitting he is not realizing he just implemented himself into this crime by saying that he chased down one of the kids grabbed him and brought him back yeah and and the police in their opinion now got this whole case you know they've got a confession from somebody who was there supposedly even though in the back of their minds they must know that they
1: led him to this they had to have hours and hours of conditioning him all day to say the things they wanted him to say why not record the whole thing right i mean if the if the kid was given it should have been written, the kid was at least given at the facts. very least
0: every every single word
1: should, should have, have been, been a written. stenographer in the room, yeah,
0: yes, um but should have been ultimately recorded, but you don't have enough tapes, come on, yeah, what exactly. do we uh, it's obviously some sketchy practices going on here, and one thing that was said that um someone had talked to one of the investigators early on and said, how do you when you get all these tips and calls and you get all these people to interject themselves in the story and you say you go to uh, you go to follow up on Somebody made a, a call saying this person seems like suspicious. I saw them in the area. Whatever you go to talk to them, and if they give you details that don't line up, that's when you know they weren't a part of it. That's yeah, that's, that's why that's you quit. everything that Jesse Miss Kelly was doing. Yeah. He was so off on everything, and they said, well, he had enough stuff that. You know, only the person would know. And it's like,
1: how do we know you didn't tell him that before you started the fucking recording? Exactly. We we're talking to him for eleven hours, oh, and then, uh, Lauren, how do we know he didn't just hear it around town? By this time, all intimate details of the crime were already being spread all over town. Yeah, and he so, could have heard it by word of mouth by anybody. But even more was than that, ten
0: it. to eleven hours, and they'd shown him crime scene photos too. Yeah, they'd shown him a damn photo, which what they say was they triggered him right. into like it, it really worked him up and it, it, yeah. it upset him. And now he knows some of the details of the crime as well. And not only that, they had done something. This is real dirty, what they had done. So before he gives this confession, they had put him under a lie detector test, right? Yeah. Under this guy. Um, and and the, the, the lie detector uh, professional does this test and asks him if he was, you know, was there on the day, if he saw anything, blah, 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 blah. And the lie detector uh, specialist comes out of the room where he would given the test to Jesse and says he's lying his ass off to the police. And so they, and in their said. mind, that's what he said. They, he, lie, and, he's lying his ass and, off. And so that, in their mind, confirmed this guy was
1: there. He did it, and that's right. why they felt comfortable pressing him so hard. And that's such bullshit. Everybody knows lie detector tests don't. You can't use that in court. Here's you, what's, you've never been able to really use that in court. Here's what's really
0: really fucked up is later on when the defense got their hands on the actual transcripts from the from the uh, lie detector test, mm-hmm. they sent it to like an FBI, like former FBI professional oh, guy who does this, right. and he goes, there was nothing. He, he said he was not deceitful on anything other than one question, and it was pertaining to drugs because oh. Jesse had dabbled in drugs and maybe sold right. some drugs here and there whatever. He was not deceitful on any of the questions about that day and the children and the crimes. Right. Yeah, just and to, so they, just the clear. fucking guy lied. Right. The same thing supposedly with Damien, too. They had given him a lie detector test, too. So this guy, either he so was who, really wait, bad at who, his job or he lied.
1: Who sent off the, the, the graph?
0: Who sent off the paper to the FBI? I don't know. Okay, I, this is part of the book that we read.
1: It's just strange that, like, you know, oh, the they, defense like, attorneys attained. Atta- the defense attorneys had to have. Right? Later on, they attained these. Uh, I was about to say because the officers didn't even look at it. They were like, okay, oh, well, no, if that's what you not. say, then that's what you. Then that's it's what all it is. confirmation bias. Oh, they want to hear what they want to hear. Yeah, lying his ass hear. off. I'll put that in the report.
0: Right. Yeah. And so of course Jesse hears this guy say he's lying his ass off, and he's going, "What? what? Like, yeah? Am I? Do I not remember what I did? Like, <laughs> I'm sure. Like, he's like, well, they already believe I did it. I might as well? Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's just beyond corrupt
1: and of course, you know, dirty. they're telling them all the shit that they always tell him, like, you know, maybe we can help you out if you just be honest with us. We can help you out. You know, there's kind of, I'm sure there's plenty of shit like that. And by help out, he's thinking, like, oh, I'm going to get to go home. I'm going to get to be, I'm going to get to get off if I just tell the truth. Right. You know, because you're talking about a boy whose education is no higher than third grade. Right. And. You know, if you tell a third grader like, just tell me the truth. You know, everything's gonna be all right. Typically, they'll confide in you. And you gotta watch. You gotta watch the the documentaries if you haven't seen them. You probably have, but if you know
0: what we're talking about, if when you see J- uh, Jesse Miss Kelly, he's done a ton of interviews. Yeah, he's just he, the guy. Is just not a bright person. Yeah. I really like him from he everything d- and I've he seen. Seemed, but he seems like a good person. He seems like a good dude. Like all kids loved him. Like he was really cool to like younger kids. He like yeah. befriended them and was like nice to them and. From all accounts, people really liked him, and even a person that ended up screwing him, Vicky Hutchinson, which we'll get to, really liked him and looked at him as like a son in a sense. Yeah, yeah, and so, yeah, so they basically get what they wanted. The police get their uh, confession quotes, uh-huh. confession from uh, somebody who was supposedly there and played a part in it. And that exact night, they break more rules by doing a um, impromptu 10 p.m. search of the homes of all three perpetrators. In right their, in their minds. Um, Damien's home is uh, raided that night at 10 p.m. Jesse's and Jason Baldwin's all homes are all raided at 10 p.m. at night. Even though there was there's stipulations that say you know that the only time you would do that in the middle of the night is if it was a, a dangerous situation for the police to right. you know this there's some stipulations and none of them met no they could have not. easily gone in the morning and and, apprehended and they found them. nothing and they found nothing of course <laughs> yeah. Other than nothing. some books with some writings that they would end up
1: using later in court to prove how weird Damien is, it was just some. It was just little excerpts from poems and songs and stuff mm-hmm. that he'd written down. Like who hasn't done that before? Like right, just little things that that means something. As a teenager, you know, you're you're grasping, you're looking for people yeah. to understand you and your weird feelings. So you you write this shit down. Like, yeah. So this is one month out from the crimes or from the boys
0: being discovered and uh you get the uh interview the infamous interview with chief inspector gary gitchell by the media in which they ask him you know he they, they make the oh. big announcement that the perpetrators yeah. have been caught yeah we've caught the uh, the people who have killed how these sure boys are you, right? yeah and they yeah. ask him you know on a scale of one to ten how how positive are you that you got the right guys and he says 11 11 and he's looking all smug definitely yeah we got ourselves a confession from uh guy who can't hardly tell what day it is yeah so if that's that's pretty strong to me they don't know the president
1: but God damn it, he was there I know it
0: <laughs> right and so there uh, all three boys are arrested and on August 4th the three pleaded not guilty to capital murder at a pretrial trial hearing um, now we move on to 1994 the uh, the jury gets selected and a trial is set there's a lot of stuff that goes on this you know this half the book we read is about all the pre-trial motions and yeah. and the jury selection and how that can get tricky and they decide they ended up deciding that um, Jesse Miss Kelly would have a separate trial from the other two
1: yeah because he gave the confession he gave the confession and, they and that would to, uh, that
0: would uh, yeah. affect the other two absolutely <laughs> which it did anyway yeah. it didn't matter whether you right. separated we're talking about, we're talking about Arkansas yep you could tell me people aren't going to know that he
1: confessed right. It didn't help at all. They they had the trials in different counties or whatever, and it just none of it mattered. None of it mattered. You're talking about some severe uh,
0: talking going around in these towns, and the police oh, yeah. can't shut their mouths, and everybody knows that Jesse confessed, and it even comes out in the, t- the trials for Jason and Damien. Yeah. Somebody on the stand comes out and says something about the, the confession, and ha- they have to have a moment where Judge Burnett uh, makes a proclamation to the jury about you have to disregard what you just heard. It's like, disregard? We just heard disregard. that, the, that <laughs> the third guy that was there confessed. Like, how do we just forget that? Right. Are you kidding me? This has to be a, a new trial. Of course, he denies that. Like, he denies everything. Yeah. And so um, I just realized that we forgot about uh, Vicki Hutchison – Oh. And Aaron Hutchison. So that's they were also played a big reason in why these mm-hmm. three were um, ended up getting railroaded. So Vicki Hutchison um, was a woman who lived in the area, and she actually was kind of in some trouble herself. She had been uh, pointed at as someone who had stole from her current employer. She had just started working for this job, and there was money two hundred dollars that had come up um, overcharged on something, and she was right. the new employee, and she it was the never happened at before. The time. Yeah, she was the cashier at the time, and so the police are actually had taken her in, and were going to talk to her about it, and she happened to bring her eight-year-old son with her, a kid named Aaron Hutchison, who happened to be friends with Stevie Branch, Christopher Byers, and Michael Moore. Of course. The victims happened to be friends with them, and so they're talking to her about this this $200 that -hmm. she potentially stole, and Aaron's running around, and they thought it was very unprofessional that she had brought him. To this right and Aaron as kids do starts talking about how he had seen some things right and he was at the woods that day and starts telling these think tall she tales all this
1: shit she was probably like just start talking about that one. it's That's she serious. seems like the person
0: the type of person that <laughs> yeah. might do that because uh-huh. there was also talk that she was expecting a reward yeah for this and so she could have easily been coaching up her son everybody was after that 35 grand right Granted, this kid you almost feel for because he, he did know these three boys, and maybe he's just dealing with some trauma of his friend hearing that his friends were killed. And, right. And, and then his mom's pressuring him, and it's it's a whole awkward situation. And
1: he's probably hearing all kinds of crazy shit at school, too, and he's relaying that and little yeah. bits of this, and kids are exaggerating. He said that, and,
0: he, said that he had seen Satanists' uh, ritualistic things going on in those woods. He had witnessed dogs being sacrificed. Like, he
1: even knows what that shit is. Yeah,
0: he's making up all kinds of stuff. But Vicky takes it upon herself to be coming in like, uh, a pr- private investigator in a sense Or helped the police To nail these These
1: She's trying to get her payday bro She just got fired She knew <coughs> Oh she we kn- didn't mention that yet Right
0: <laughs> She knew yeah. Jesse Miss Kelly Pretty yeah. well She'd had him Had him hanging around all the time
1: Yeah In a sense was like uh, He was like a second son to now her we, Now remember Jesse's uh, mental level Is about the level of an 8 year old Right About the level of a 3rd grader So like he he can He can connect with these kids mm-hmm. On a level that you know Makes them feel more comfortable, right? So that's why he probably hung out with a lot of younger kids,
0: yeah. Well, she knew that uh Jesse hung around Damien Jason here and there, yeah. And so the police kind of allow her to do her own, like get become an infiltrate. She almost becomes like an yeah. informant. They have her bug her place and start um asking Jesse to invite Damien over. She has Jesse invite Damien to her house and starts trying to get like uh recordings of Damien, maybe potentially confessing to her about this crime and whatnot she's given him alcohol like she's right. been giving jesse miss kelly alcohol
1: she's very but strange remember, character but she had she had damien come over be- under the ruse that she wanted to learn more about the occult right? right yeah so that's what she was doing she was like so she
0: was doing know. some character assassination work for the police she that would later went- come out in trial she would end up yeah. taking the stand and talking about damien in a dark light and then it was, she would end up helping to get these boys convicted and then later on we'll just we'll just wrap up vicky Hutchison because i can't stand her but she yeah. would many 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 years later after these after these kids were had been locked up and i think after he then been let out she made
1: a statement well, that she had made it up. all up she <laughs> yeah. made all this up yeah so she was just trying to get some money right that's all it was because she got fired from her job uh in case you guys didn't know because when her son aaron started talking about uh the boys that were killed she that obviously the detective was like, okay, well, fuck this freaking two hundred dollar gas station thing. Like, you're free to go. Right. We need to talk to him. And then, but her employer was like, uh, no, you're fired. Right. <laughs> Didn't help her there. She so. actually, after the boys got um, convicted later,
0: went to the police and uh, started requesting a thirty five thousand dollar reward for right. you know saying that she played a big part in them getting taken down. So, yeah. and then ended up suing the city as well. I think. Oh, did
1: she? Yeah. They know she sued the city too, yeah. So she's, she's a real piece of work,
0: yeah. She's and, desperate uh, at this time. There's several people that that uh helped the police and uh jury convict these kids, right? Um, we're just naming a few, but we had, we had to talk about Vicki Hutchison because yeah, definitely played a big role in it and would end up taking the stand. And um, so Absolutely. we'll get to the trial real quick. Um, the presiding judge would be a guy named David Burnett, a guy that we really grew to hate throughout this thing.
1: It just, it just allegedly seemed a very guys.
0: one-sided judge. Um, I didn't, you know what I, I, this whole podcast has been a, a journey a learning lesson for me on, on like, uh, criminology and yeah. on, and on law and, and how the court system works and everything like that. And I never really, my, I guess I was naive to think that the judge didn't do a whole lot, that the jury really decided it. And then, and depending on your defense yeah, attorneys and me all that too. stuff. Yeah. I've now realized how important a judge is, man, because he, he really hampered the defense's ability to defend yeah. their, def, their clients the entire time. Like is every single thing the defense asked for, there are very many reasonable requests. You know, can we bring this witness to the stand to, you know, talk about either the character of this person or this or that? Right. I have some examples that we'll get to. But Is, is he, it even
1: possible to have one human make a non-biased decision? I don't think it is. Yeah, probably not. I don't think it is. I think that's a that's a flaw in our in our justice system right there. Right. Like I like the jury idea, but I don't like that the jury doesn't have final say. But then again, I don't know if I want someone who has no experience in law or criminal justice having the final say, even if it is twelve people. Right. So let's get to the first trial on Jesse Miss Kelly. And
0: it was basically all about the confession. The confession was analyzed throughout it. Um And basically the defense tried to point to the fact that he was coerced into it, that there was 12 hours, all these things that make a lot of sense. The fact that he was questioned for 12 hours and only 46 minutes were actually presented
1: in court and recorded. And he was and getting don't big have details wrong, like the fact that they were tied up with rope when they were actually tied, tied up, up with, with shoelaces yep. that were different colors. And he said br- he, there were black and white shoestrings that were tied up with, and he said brown rope. He
0: said that uh, one big thing that isn't talked about enough was that he said that Damien started screwing him and stuff, and there was actually no evidence that they were sexually assaulted.
1: Nope. Nope.
0: Yeah, so, I mean... <laughs> None of it really made any sense. None of his... I mean, they say, oh, there was details that he knew that only person that was there could know. No, mm-hmm. that's not true at all, because we don't know what you what you told him leading up to this. We exactly. don't know what you showed him leading up to this. We don't know what he heard in the community. Right. We don't know any of that. So, yeah, he definitely could have known things that only Absolutely. person... Yeah, so... Everybody knew things that the, the person was there knew by a couple of days out. Oh, yeah.
1: Shit. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, so the defense obviously did that, but the whole time Judge Burnett was uh, hampering their ability to properly defend him, in my opinion Yeah. and your opinion. Absolutely. If you watch the documentary, if you read this book, she talks a lot about all the times that the uh, – they would have their little circle meeting um, up by the judge and uh, and request this or request that yeah. every single time the prosecution requested something that would help their case, allowed. Judge Burnett allowed it every single freaking time. Yep. the defense asked for anything. If they asked um, for the right to bring a witness to the stand, yep. he would say that's just going to um, make this thing draw longer. Yeah, it's not no going to time help. for that. And you'll see in Damien's uh, trial
1: some of the things that he allowed to be on the stand they yeah. are just like... It's almost like he was like, no, there's no other, there's no time for other possibilities of this murder. We, we'll just focus on these boys. Right. We'll just convict them. Let's worry about convicting Let's these just boys. Let's worry about convicting then, them. We already got a good lead here. Right. Let's not bring in other people. Right.
0: <laughs> we don't need any slanderous things that say that these boys didn't do it now. You know? Right. Right. <laughs> All right, so in the end, uh, the tape recording of the 46-minute interview with police where mm-hmm. Jesse said... That he, you know, he was there while this whole thing went down was enough, and the jury decided to convict him of life plus forty years. And this was a big blow, obviously, to the other yeah. two boys and to Jesse and to Jesse's family who believe there's no way right. just off of this bullshit coerced thing and no evidence, no physical evidence linking nope. him to
1: anything. Nope. Or the other two boys for that matter, to anything. Right. So basically the way it broke down was he got life for Michael Moore, because he's the one he chased down, right? Because mm-hmm. they're, they're thinking that if he didn't chase him down, then Michael Moore would still be alive. That was in the final the final statement by the, the prosecutor. Right. And then he got 20 years each for the other two. Yeah. Just for being there. Right.
0: And so, yeah, he's in a state of shock and disbelief. Um, you see videos of him shortly after in Paradise Lost where he's in jail and just, you know, I still he's like, I don't know if I him. can take it. I don't know if I can be here without my family. And yeah, he adjusted well to the prison life. You know, you see him later in the other ones, and he—he he seemed like he was most cut out for it. To be honest, like there's an argument to be made that this might have
1: been for the better. For <laughs> well, it, because he had somebody telling him what to do. Yeah, he seemed like a guy that needed day. structure. I feel like, yeah, I feel like Jesse would have also thrived in like the military. Yeah. Somewhere where someone is is telling him what to do, what when to eat, when to sleep. A frontline soldier, he would have been devastated. Oh, he would have been a badass. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, Let's make that clear. He had a janitor ring of dog tags. Right. Yeah, dude, he had a badass freaking haircut too. By the way, when <laughs> yeah, he first got when he, he first did. got picked up, that mullet with the lines. There. Yeah, the lines on the side, dude, it looked pretty sick. Yeah. Jason had a pretty crazy mullet, too. Yeah. The, the looking
0: back at old pictures of them were pretty cool. He seems like the type of kids that you'd, I'd kind of want to hang out with. <laughs>
1: in the mid-'90s.
0: Right. So that goes down. It's kind of a, a shock, I think. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe not in the community. They were probably all just happy. They were celebrating. Yeah. Right. Because, the, I mean, the word that had gotten out there that was that these three freaking... Yeah, they got the Satanists off the streets. Satanist kids that yep. ritualistically killed these babies. That's right. Um yeah, so he's he's locked up, and then they're, we're awaiting the next trial, and there's a lot of talk between the uh, the lawyers. They start immediately trying to offer a deal to Jesse Miss Kelly after convicting him right? and like saying all these horrible things about him, how he killed these three boys, and he sat through this trial about it. Right. The, the same prosecution, yeah. the same prosecuting attorneys come up to him and start trying to play nice with him and saying, you know, we can really do something good for you if you're willing to testify against uh, your two buddies. Right. And If you go on the stand and, and and basically testify to what you told us, we'll lower your sentence.
1: Yeah, and, basically they they were planning on dropping the life sentence,
0: and they were doing some dirty things in that they were saying you know like they were they were having they were meeting with him without mm-hmm. uh, defense his defense attorney, uh, uh, Dan Stidham. They were meeting with Jesse. Without telling his, uh, without telling his attorney, which is completely against what you're supposed to do. Oh, absolutely. Spo- he's, you know, his defense is supposed to know any time people well, meet Jesse with him. had
1: no idea that this was wrong. Right. He so didn't know that this was. Against they're the meeting race. with
0: him. They're giving him promises like, "Oh, we'll let you see your girlfriend." Jesse had this girl that he'd been dating. Right. And he just wanted to see anybody he knew. He was just in a state of shock and just missing everything. Yeah. And and just couldn't believe what had happened. And so they're just offering him this and that, and he's really. Um, divided on whether he should do this or not and help himself out, but ultimately in the end, leading up to the the trial for uh, the other two, he decides that he's he's not going to testify that he's not, not going to nope. sit up there and lie and sentence his friends potentially to death or to life in prison. Right. If he if he doesn't have to, so so
1: he kept he did life the right in thing. prison. Yeah, he kept he life kept in prison. He kept life in prison to not. Lie. That's a man's move,
0: right there. That is, you know, he it, pulled a bitch I mean, move. He probably still would have gotten screwed either way. Whether he would, dude, he still gets forty years. Yeah,
1: and then chances are he's probably not going to get out.
0: Right. But he,
1: yeah, you're right. I mean, you can say what you want about. It Must his have education. been a hard decision at the time, though, but especially for a
0: kid of his. Yeah, that's that took balls, man. Right, and and after just being railroaded, you know, and feeling yeah. like he got screwed, like what they were telling him, like those two were going to walk, like the the. The, uh, the police and the attorneys were telling him, like, those two, if you don't testify, odds are they're getting off and, and they could go after your family. They were saying stuff like that to him, too. Yeah. It's just
1: like, what? No, he's like, no, they're They'd not probably because love they you. do it. <laughs> <laughs> they would probably freaking come
0: and visit me and right. put money on my books and everything if they, <laughs> right. if they get off because I don't testify against right. them. Right, exactly. And there's a lot of talk between the... The, uh, the defense attorneys feel real confident that if he doesn't testify, that there's no way that these... that that uh, that Damien and Jason are going to get convicted of this. There's no, a, what do no they have? Way. If they don't have that, what do they have? They have all circumstantial evidence. They had. Yeah. To, they, we had to mention a couple fibers. They found a couple oh fibers. God, they the started. Fibers. They started. I would say the. I would use the word fabricating evidence. Uh, they started yeah. creating evidence out of thin air because they knew they had nothing. So one thing they do is they go to the area where. Um, Damien and Jason live. They live pretty close to each other. Mm-hmm. And behind, uh, Jason lives in like a trailer. And behind right. behind his trailer is a like a little pond or a lake, I guess. Yeah. And they get a scuba diver, and they have the scuba diver search that lake behind. A team of scuba divers. A team of scuba divers. Check the lake behind Jason Baldwin's trailer. Right. And within minutes, they come up with this large buck knife, like a large hunting knife. It's,
1: mm-hmm. it's With one
0: serrated edge. One tiny, yeah, one serrated edge on it. And they're sold that this is the, this oh, is obviously the murder weapon. That's it. You know, people never throw anything in lakes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this, who knows how old this shitty knife was. Right. You know, they pull it up like, we got it. It was we on the newspaper the next day, the scuba diver holding the knife up. Like, yeah. we got
1: the knife. Here's what's crazy. How'd the reporter know that they were...
0: Yeah, who took that photo? Yeah, who
1: took the photo? Because it was supposed to that be is... under wraps that they were doing that. That was a huge part of the case that was just swept under
0: the rug. It's like, who took the photo? Who was there? Right. Could it have been a police officer that took it and then gave it to the news, maybe? Yeah, maybe, but... That's What I was wondering it's when I was reading the book, she was there. talking about it, but anyways, they just immediately assume that this is the knife,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know. And they bring people onto the stand that obviously say, Yeah, this could have been the knife. And it's like,
1: Yeah, yeah, a lot of knives could well, be the yeah, knife. Yeah, any knife could be the
0: knife, <laughs> right? Including the knife that uh, a certain John Mark Byers during this trial that we're about to talk about leading up to the trial, he the HBO um series is being recorded, right? Uh, Paradise Lost, mm-hmm. and John Mark Byers is becoming kind of buddy buddy with the, the film crew. He's kind of buddy buddy with everybody. He is kind of buddy buddy with everybody, the police included. Mm-hmm. That's part of the problem here. But he goes up to one of the film crew members, a cameraman or something, and, and gives him a Christmas gift
1: during Christmas time. A little fold knife. Here. Little,
0: yeah. He gives him a, a, a used folding knife that mm-hmm. he'd had at his house for a long time that had just supposedly just been sitting on a shelf, never been used, never no, he touched. Just, any, he just took anybody? care of it. You know, yeah. he, all he did was you know treat it, you know, take care of it, and keep it on a shelf. Yeah. He never used it.
1: Square a little WD forty in the hinge every now and then. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's a little little strange that yeah. he gives them a
0: knife in the first place, but then they open the knife and they see that there appears to be a small amount of what appears to be blood on the uh-huh. knife, and they're wondering why would this guy, who we barely know, who is a part of a, a murder trial where his son was stabbed to death, his stepson was stabbed to death, give us a knife? Yeah, and it, it has blood in it, and mm-hmm. so they're conflicted on what to do. HBO is having meetings, going, what do we? What are we going to do with this knife this guy gave us that has blood and we have to do something, right? This, this could really hurt is... our documentary. This could seize our documentary. This... Like we,
1: this whole thing could be over. Right. This whole situation is a mind fuck to me. Right. I'm like, did he know there was blood? Did he not know there was blood? Was this a ploy? I... That's one hell of a mind game. If you killed those kids and then you're doing that, and, right? Is this like something where you want to be like, look how ballsy I am? Kind of right. like if that's what it if felt he, like. If he was in the mindset of a serial killer, like this is a serial killer move, right? It's here. the this same is the shit BTK that John Mark move. Byers does through this whole thing with the teeth that we'll get to. Yeah, yeah.
0: He's doing all he's doing all these things that like almost intentionally make him look guilty, but he's like laughing about it. It's yeah. like it's like he almost wants to see how untouchable he is. So ultimately HBO after having these meetings, they decide they have to do the right thing and turn this over to the police. So they talk to Gary Gitchell, they give him the knife, they say, Look, uh, John Mark Byers gave us this knife as a gift. It appears to have some sort of blood on it. So um, Gary Gitchell has it sent out, you know, the trial's coming up. So he's like, yeah. I really don't want to deal with this because it could throw everything off. Like, right. You know, we're not now we're gonna have to introduce this to the court, like and and say this did the- occur.
1: Yeah, and, they're and thinking that this cast is suspicion
0: a, on someone other than the people that they're
1: trying to convict. They're thinking this is a just a stupid move. They think this is just a, a stab in the dark here. Or yeah, At pathetic try and, attempt by the defense. Yeah, they think the, offence, the offense The defense is like, well, there was like actually one interview with the prosecution attorney, and he was like, "This is a bold move." He's like, "This is a this is a long shot. This right. is not going to happen." He's like, bringing in another. Another suspect this late in the trial, he's like, "This is suicide." They didn't just do it for no reason, though. Right? You know, That's like, what I'm saying. Like they have more evidence than you have ever had. Right? So, <laughs> they, <laughs> they have they have, have blood.
0: They have not on only a knife. knife that that could have been. It was also testified. An expert said that this yeah. knife could also have been used, just as much as the knife that was Absolutely. found in the lake could have been used. So they send it off to ha- to get tested, and the small amount of blood that they have, um, they test and they see that the blood. Uh, in the knife was human, mm-hmm. and that it, it matches the DNA of John Mark Byers, and it also matches the the uh, blood of Christopher, Christopher Byers. Byers. Dun, which dun, is strange dun. because John Mark Byers is his stepdad's supposedly. supposedly. Which, so that's strange in it itself. That's and strange. it could also be 6% of the population. So maybe they happen to percent have. 6% of the
1: population of what? The world or
0: Arkansas? <laughs> I'm, saying, I'm guessing the world. Yeah. Yeah, I get what you're saying because Arkansas is all white people, but if it's 6% of the world, then it's like a much wider net, I guess. Then it's more specific is what I'm saying. But it is strange in that John Mark Byers, after being questioned by the police about this knife, said that he was actually, there's an interrogation about this knife that they finally sat him down and done what they should have done days after the murder. They, they should sat him bullshit. down and really gave him a thorough questioning about yeah. certain things. But any, because of his background that they had swept under the rug, you know, mm-hmm. he had a violent history. They should have really questioned him about this. But now they're finally sitting him down. And Why would they? They know
1: him on a first name basis. Why would they? Not John Mark. Yeah. He was singing hymns on Sunday. Couldn't mm-hmm. have been him.
0: Yeah. And so uh, during this police questioning, he, they asked him about the knife and what did you use it for? And he said, I never used it. I just never sat used on my it sh- for nothing. Never used it said. for nothing. I just sat it on my shelf. Yeah. And uh, so that's, that's the initial thing before they get the results back. Yeah. And so when they get the results back, they get the testing, and and this is during the trial they have to talk to him about. It. They bring him on the stand, and they you know they read him the the defense attorneys for for uh, Damian and Jason. They read the the uh, questioning that the police had given him about that knife initially, yeah. and they say, "You said here that you you never use that knife." That there word should, for word, they there should the be, entire interview <laughs> that there should not be any blood on that. That you never used it. Blah blah blah, mm-hmm. and. and and uh, they go, well, we found that there's blood on that. And then it matches you and it matches your son. And he says, mm-hmm. do you know where that blood came from? Yeah, I know where it came from. I cut my thumb. And he's looking it's, up, like, okay. it's like, did you just remember that? Or And he's like, well, I think I could have remembered it right after, you know, the, like the next day after they questioned me. I remembered that I was cutting up some venison. You know, and I cut my thumb. I and he told him, "I don't think I even." Initially, he told him, "I don't think I've ever nicked anything. I've never used it to cut up any meat." So he's cutting up venison with that pocket knife. Yeah, supposedly. Really?
1: Yeah. Hmm.
0: He said that he had a flay knife. Yeah. Um, and that he was using that, and he wanted to see how the pocket knife would do. Yeah. So he tried it, and it didn't work for Sometimes shit. Sometimes I so just like
1: he- to make things harder <laughs> on purpose. <laughs> right. Forget a flay knife <laughs> when you're trying to cut up meat. I'm gonna use this, this old, get this little three-inch serrated blade here. This right. will, this will do it. So very very
0: weird, very questionable. He seemed he seemed like his demeanor was completely different on the stand. Like he was nervous. Oh, Granted, yeah. you would be, but he wasn't nervous in any other light. Like he was doing live broadcasts. You know, disputing because you know later on when the West Memphis he, this guy was great on camera. Like it's oh, it's God. you yeah. can't you can't overstate it enough how much he just was a natural at it. Like he just came to life he when the cameras the went on. He did, and he was good. I mean, he. Yeah he would outperform people like later on when the West Memphis three group came around and they started doing live things. And it was like dispute. There was dispute between him and, and the West Memphis three group that thought that these boys were innocent. They did like a live camera shoot um, where it was him versus the head of the West Memphis Freedom West Memphis Free group. right? And he fucking smoked a dude. Like, he, he's on like on the, on live TV. He's like, you know, I'm six foot five, and they can come find me. Any the other guys like all like jumbling over his words and doesn't know what to say. It's yeah. like it's not easy to be
1: live on camera
0: like that. Oh, well, when
1: you've bullshitted your whole life, man. But yet become real on good at
0: stand it. during the trial for Damien and Jason, yeah, he seemed at a loss for words, super nervous, a loss for nerve.
1: Uh, yeah, like like they were about to catch him up in something. Yep. He was very careful. He was very telling so, to me. He wasn't so quick with his responses like he yep. typically was. He sat there and thought about it for a second. Mm-hmm. And you kind of got a you kind of get a glimpse in those eyes, and you see that there's like they're not very deep. There's, right. There's something he he doesn't he's want hiding. you to see. He's what's hiding in things. There. He's hiding things. Yeah. In that big forehead of his, he's got all <laughs> big kinds beluga of beluga whale head of his. He has a tumor. He has a brain tumor. Remember? Yeah, yeah that's right. And we'll talk about more. It's of probably that. all in his forehead. Yeah, John Mark Byers, man. I
0: don't know. I do something. So. A couple of uh, highlights from the uh, the trial of the other two. One thing is, J- Jason Baldwin's lawyer wanted nothing to do with Damien, and he wanted to. He he, he yeah he was he like was upset crucify about, him.
1: <laughs> he was upset
0: that their trial was together because Damien, you know, obviously his character was being assassinated the whole time, and Jason yeah. being associated with him made him look like he was a part of this cult that they were trying to portray. Damien being a part of right. And one way that the prosecution um, displayed to the jury that Damien was in fact. In a cult and a part of cult uh, uh, affiliation, or what whatever. what was the the trappings of a cult? He was oh yeah yeah he yeah. he was yeah. Anyways, they brought in this so called expert named Dale Griffiths, who oh, had a yeah. who had a mail a mail order PhD. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> yeah. no, he really did because no, the defense yeah, when the defense questioned him, um, this is great. When they this... cross examined him, he was you know they were saying well, what exactly what, what courses, qualifies you what qualifies what what courses did you do and he's going i already told you
1: no no seriously no, what courses no what classes did you take if I, to get your phd finally he goes none <laughs> none. none no classes none, <laughs> no classes and so this guy is a
0: so-called expert judge Burnett allows it allows you know the, this. obviously the defense yeah. is like this guy is not an expert what what says he's an expert in you know really
1: sure knows a hell of a lot about black fingernails and such so
0: yeah of course Judge Burnett will
1: all allow it yeah, I'll allow it. I'm interested. Yeah. I want to learn more
0: about this cult stuff. Yeah, basically is what he was saying. <laughs> yeah, pretty. And much. so it, you know, Dale Griffith sits up there and says that you know people have, you know that follow the cult, they, uh, occultism. Oh they they wear black. Yeah. they uh, have black fingernails. They yeah, typically they? have black hair. Um, they will read these these books. They yeah. will have seances. They'll paint their face. Black. Yeah. Blah 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 blah. A bunch of fucking bullshit. Yeah.
1: Candle circles. Yeah. This grams. is
0: this is yeah. what they're doing to convince this jury that. Damien, along with two other kids, right. uh, killed these eight-year-old boys. Happened on a full moon. No, no real evidence. We, we skipped over the fibers. They had supposedly found some fibers. You mentioned um, it briefly. On but around the bodies it's that, insignificant. that had been there supposedly from secondary transfer. Right. So it wasn't fibers from Damien or Jason. It was no. fibers from their houses that these fibers could have come from a number of yes. anything. Anything you buy at Walmart could have had these fibers on them. If you checked any of the police officers or right. anybody on the in the jury, anybody in that courtroom's houses, most of them would have had fibers that would have Not been to mention,
1: microscopically this, similar. This town probably didn't have a whole lot of places to shop yeah okay let's put it that way i mean they probably had a walmart that was They probably they had, it this town had four fibers and two of them were at the crime scene right <laughs> so
0: <laughs> that's
1: what i'm saying like right it's exactly. like this
0: fiber evidence was bullshit the knife had there was nothing there was no evidence on the knife no dna on the knife that proved that it was a part of Like, it was all no. hearsay at yep. the end the oh, so we'll get the knife with the fucking grapefruit drove me insane Oh my god! The grapefruit the demonstration, yeah. by the by, the prosecution, yeah, the prosecution. Uh, Dan Fogel Dan, or John Fogelman was the uh, the lead prosecutor. Right, uh, he was annoying, smug, but I guess a lot of prosecutors are. It, it, whatever side you are on, the other attorneys are going to seem really annoying to you, <laughs> of course. So Fogelman maybe wasn't so bad, but he All annoyed the, the shit out. Of, but he used a grapefruit in his final statement yeah. to the to the jury, and he took the, the the large knife and he and he like hit the grapefruit with the knife and showed that obviously this is the knife that killed those boys because look at the indentions on the grapefruit. And then he took the pocket knife from Mm -hmm. uh, John Mark Byers and smacked the grapefruit. And he's like, see how it's a straight line. I rest my case. We're like, no, we can't see <laughs> that shit at all.
1: We couldn't see... No, it was bullshit. And, and he Judge was, Burnett allowed him to stand up there and hit us grapefruit with a fucking knife. To like use a hammer, it. in that way. Not even in a way that a knife is used. Right. He was just like... Dunk, dunk. He was just like slapping the blade against the grapefruit. Just look at this.
0: Unbelievable, those. man. Um, another um, highlight from the... Uh, from the trial with Jason and Damien was a guy, a, a kid named a, ball, uh, a kid named Michael Carson, who was 16 years old. Right. He was being held with Jason. A right? vast criminal history. Um, he was uh, someone who was known to break into homes, mm-hmm. rob homes. He had a drug history. He was very sketchy, very sketchy character. Right. And he, in August of '93 was incarcerated at the Craighead County Detention Center in Jonesboro, Arkansas. He was at the detention center facility facing a burglary charge and also incarcerated at the same time was Jason Baldwin. Um, during the five days Carson was there, he claims that he befriended Baldwin, and Baldwin had confessed to him that he had murdered the three boys. He talked to Baldwin all of two times. And he said he, his statement, and granted, he didn't come to the police with this information until months, months after later. Baldwin had supposedly told him this stuff. Yeah. And he said that he had saw the news and he'd saw the parents and how distraught they were and he'd felt bad. So oh, he had to come out and of say his something. his little Robin Hart. Right. He had to come out and say something. And so um, basically he was interviewed by the police on February 1st, 1994, um, days before Baldwin and Eccles went on trial. And they would actually bring this criminal who had something to gain from testifying against Jason up on the stand and question him about what Jason had told him in jail. And supposedly within 24 hours of Jason meeting him, he had said that, yeah, I chopped up those boys. I, I mutilated them. Yeah. Um, just went on and bragging, went about on about it. And stuff. so what, what came of this, what, what came to light later was that his like parole officer, somebody connected to this kid who was, you know, in the system, um, connected to this kid had leaked information to this kid, the 16 year old about this crime that had happened.
1: And yeah. he, took that information that he'd learned from someone yep. and used it. And then the police claimed that the person that told him could not have known. They could have never known. Yeah. Well either way, he stood up on there and lied yeah. about what t- Jason had supposedly told him. And keep in
0: mind Jason never told anybody anything. He kept his no. mouth shut from start to finish of this thing and always Jason uh, barely talked when talked uh, when yeah. spoken to. <laughs> oh yeah. In court he never made any move he no, just he didn't testify. Either. Didn't testify. Yeah. Um, that, that being said, da- Damien was the only one that took to stand to defend himself and yeah. actually, um, was subjected to questioning and did, I
1: thought did a great job up there. I thought he did, but the, uh, the I thought he made attorney some. attorney thought that he crucified himself up there. I didn't,
0: I know. I, I thought didn't that think he so. made, Damien made some of the prosecuting experts look kind of silly. Like when they would question Damien him about the occult kid. stuff, he talked about, you know, the true meaning of, of Wicca and how it's, you yeah. know, um, how it's about, uh, a mother being God or whatever, because right. you know, men can't give birth and all yeah. this stuff. He did a good job up there of saying that, yeah, I am weird. I read weird stuff, but that doesn't mean I did anything. Right. You know, and, and anyway, so yeah, that really hurt Jason, in my opinion. This kid came out there and saying that because of the stupid, the stupidity of the jury. They're just going to believe whatever right. they, they want to believe. Yeah. But I mean, this kid had something to gain. And, and the information didn't match up. They, all three nope. boys weren't mutilated. So nope. where, like, how does that even make any sense? Right. And Jason never said anything to anyone else. And within 24 hours of meeting this criminal and, and, and being in jail with him, he's yeah. going to tell him? Not a chance. Yeah. So, I mean, I it just, it. yeah. And he, he waited months to tell the police
1: this. It just So many things just didn't add up. Oh, real quick while we're talking about uh, witnesses that were called, there were also um, a few young girls that were at a softball game mm. that it supposedly had never met Damien, never met Damien in their life, but supposedly overheard Damien saying bragging that he, about, that he did killing it, about killing him. But here's the thing, like when you can they almost were, even picture Damien bragging to, to like some people about doing it, even if he didn't, you know what I mean? He was probably like, if I was doing joking it, about it, like, dah, dah, dah. he had a, yeah. I'm sure he had a dark sense of humor. He, had a he probably would humor. joke about doing that. Right. But here's what's funny is when the girls were questioned about it, they didn't know. Like one of the defense attorneys were like, well, what did, what was Damien talking about before that? They're like, we don't know. Well, who's he talking to? We don't know. Right. What did he say after that? We We don't don't know. know. I think the mindset in the town at the time was that everybody had made
0: up their mind that these kids would do it, had done it, Mm -hmm. and let's help out getting them convicted in any way yeah, we can because the, you
1: look like you f- you feel like the, a hero you for feel the like greater good hero.
0: i think they looked at it from the greater good standpoint let's get these kids off the street because they did it even if we have to lie in the process of doing it i think that was vicky exactly H- i think that was vicky hutchinson's outlook i think that was these girls i think vicky hutchinson
1: vicky hutchinson wanted the money also wanted the money i think she wanted the money more than anything
0: yeah, but I mean, I think people were like, I don't care how we have to do it. Let's get these kids behind bars because they are fucking weird and they did they killed
1: these boys, yeah. these babies. If they didn't, then they're going to do something weird. Right. Or they're going to do something ungodly. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I think it, that was it mostly, was a pack mentality.
0: There were yeah, so many so-called witnesses that came forward and said that we overheard Damien bragging about doing it. Mm-hmm. But really, like, there's no proof that... No one else said that was there at the time, or they didn't yeah. know Damien, or they didn't, like you said, didn't know the people he was with. They couldn't really say what he was talking about before or after that. It was just, we heard him bragging about it.
1: Yeah, that's and it.
0: that's the kind of witnesses the, what the prosecution he was he bringing said, to the stand. He said
1: he killed them kids. Right. Uh, uh,
0: okay. That's good enough for me. All right, well. Lock him up. <laughs> yeah. No physical, real, true evidence. Nothing. Some knife they found in a lake, some fibers that could be pretty much found in anyone's home. Mm-hmm. And uh, a few jack uh, jack holes that came forward and said that they heard them either bragging about it or telling them stories, and then a yep. confession. And you know that the that ultimately the jury for Damien and Jason, they knew they knew damn well about Jesse Miss Kelly's confession. There was said to be a jury member like the, that rose to the the highest ranks of jury members, the like lead jury guy, you know, the person that right. kind of commands the room. That person had known about Jesse's confession. Before even and but the questioning for the jury members was so weak that he'd already had his mind made up that they had done it and he basically was able to evade the questioning and make sure that he was on wow. the jury so that he could persuade the rest of the jury members right to convict these boys and he did his best part whenever they had their jury meetings to uh, convince everyone else wow. there was something about a paper where they had um, pros and cons or like basically things that made them think that uh, that uh Damien was guilty and things that they made that made them think Damien may not be guilty. Right. And one of them was scratched out when they gave the final copies over to the court and when they they discovered the original copy had been written uh, Jesse's confession was on there. So the jury members saw that on the on the uh side oh, of him being convicted. Yeah. And
1: they, and they couldn't so, count that.
0: Completely unfair trials. Very much Salem Witch trials. Um if you can't tell which way this is going, the um, Jason was found guilty, um, sentenced to life in prison, and Damien Eccles was given capital uh, punishment. He right. was given the death penalty by lethal injection, and the families were just distraught. Damien actually his uh, his child had just been born. Um, yeah, leading up the trial. to the uh, during the trial, his girlfriend was pregnant <sighs> and was had such the baby. A,
1: that was such a weird scene, like where he's sitting in the courtroom, like holding his son right. in front of the people who think that. He killed their son. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine what's going through their minds?
0: Right, and you can't blame the families for being
1: mad. And, and no, and no they, you can't downplay led, that. They're but. led
0: to believe that the police have done their due diligence and that this, these are the, they've got the right guys. I mean, you got to believe the police did their job right, but they didn't.
1: You know, and they guys, ju- the documentaries are worth watching just to listen to the parents. Oh yeah, honestly, just to hear to hear their to hear these parents, the things that they say, and and then some of them who you can tell weren't really affected by their child's death; they were just looking. It's like, um, it was, was it Michael Moore's mom? She was Dantamore. the one that was, when she was first on camera, I swear she was like drunk or high or something. And then she had like his Cub Scout. Oh, no, no, you're talking about uh, Pamela Hobbs. Okay, that was Pamela Hobbs, yeah. yeah. She had like his Cub Scout thing and she was like putting it on her head. Well, and like you don't, that, it's, and people shit. have really
0: criticized that, but you really don't know what's going on. I, I, I think Pamela Hobbs was completely... You saw If you saw the initial video when the police um, came over and told her what they had found, that her son was dead, she literally fainted. Like, when when they had just discovered the bodies, they walked out and told her, and she collapsed. And so I think she was going through probably a wave of emotions and probably had, like, you know, a a whirlwind going on by the time they interviewed her for that, what you were talking about. That was kind of weird, seeing her, like, laughing, like, I'm going to be on TV. Yeah. You know, but I, I still feel like... She was, a, everything
1: else I've heard about her is that she was a good mom. No, it, you're right. Because and, once, once they started talking about him, mm-hmm. once they started talking about st- uh, her son, Steve, yeah, her, her True total feelings. countenance changed. Yeah. It was like a, a switch and she was just like, whoa. Right.
0: Okay. And honestly, she probably was all, I think a I l- large amount of this community was pilled up on all kinds of stuff. You hear about all the different stuff that uh, Mark Byers was on. Oh yeah. All the different medications he was on. you heard that, uh. Was it uh, by the Byers kid, uh, Chris Byers? Let's not. He was he was on uh, Ritalin, and he yeah. didn't have his Ritalin the day that he was murdered. Yeah, let's not overlook uh, his mom, Melissa Byers either. Oh, she was a drugged out. Ooh. She was drugged out big time. She said some crazy shit, and she ended up dying of uh, mysterious circumstances three years after. Yeah, the kids isn't that were weird? Killed. And, you know, John Mark Byers has his own version of what happened there, and she had a lot of different pills, and a uh-huh. couple of them she wasn't prescribed to. But I honestly, honestly think, I, I think she past, overdosed. Yeah, I, w- I was about to say, I wouldn't put it past her. I, think she I really overdosed. don't think she would be able to I think she mixed it. the wrong things together. She was on all kinds of different meds, probably just she still could, in disbelief yeah. from what had happened. Absolutely. And, and I think she had a tendency to be a drug user to begin with, and then her son dying probably didn't help things. Yeah, but that's, and her abusive weirdo husband yeah. <laughs> didn't help things either. Well, losing your son,
1: man, you're never yeah. going to... You're yeah. never gonna get over that.
0: Yeah, I mean, you you saw their anger, and they believe these kids. For the most part, all the parents believe that they're that they had the caught the right offenders. At right. least, Byers, um, John Mark Byers. We cannot talk enough about him. Later, <laughs> would would change his tune, but mm-hmm. but at first he was he was ecstatic about the fact that they had been found guilty, and he yeah. was taunting them as much as he could throughout the trial. He was taunting Damien and getting getting a, a rise out of Damien and Damien would actually give some love to the media by like flipping them, flim, flipping off the families or like throwing little comments their way or smirking at them or smirking something, which at did them, not look good. Taunting them. Yeah, that didn't, didn't look, look good. good. But at the same time, Damien's like, dude, this is, this is this silly. Is insane. I didn't kill these kids and everyone right. is like spitting at me, cursing at me. And but there was like a, the there was a small
1: part of Damien that made me feel like he enjoyed it. Like, Oh yeah. Um, like for instance, when, I think they were at a press conference and there was a bunch of guys standing around that had guns and stuff. And he was like, wow, they think I'm this dangerous? Right. And then the, his attorney was like, no, they're protecting you mm-hmm. from them. Right. <laughs> he was like, oh. Well, in the first uh,
0: Paradise Lost in an interv- a one-on-one interview between HBO and him, he was talking about how, yeah, you know, someday I think I'm going to be like the the a t- fairy tale here, like a, a horror story. I'm going to be like the boogeyman. Kids will yeah. talk about Damien and how Damien's going to come and get you, and he it almost seemed like he was getting off on that idea yeah. that he was going to be remembered forever, and it really did not look good to the public. They, no, it did not. They, you know, and he even talked about in the second one how like he probably shouldn't have said that, like, it, <laughs> but at the time he, you know, he didn't realize how serious things were, and yeah, that, that's these one were of those kids, times, man. We can't forget that they, that's like, one of those times where you're like,
1: eh, maybe, <laughs> yeah. We can't forget
0: that three innocent eight year old boys were killed, and we can't, and, right. and also at the same time these these three that were convicted, you can believe what you want, but I mean, they were still, if you believe they're innocent, you can see why they were acting the way they were acting. It makes sense. Yeah. Because they were kids and they weren't taking it seriously enough. And that ultimately, like what Jesse would later say is like, I didn't believe that without any evidence that yeah. they could actually convict me, no matter what I said. Yeah. Like they didn't have anything. Right. We didn't do it. Like we weren't there. There was no blood. There and was no nothing.
1: Proof, and that's proved to me like that Jesse just wanted to go home. Right. He just wanted to go home. Yep. He just wanted to be out of that police station and mm-hmm. he would have literally said whatever he had to to get out. And he didn't know he wasn't even under arrest at that time. He could have left. Yeah. He didn't he know that. He could no, have got course. up and walked out if he wanted to. Yeah. Nothing they could have done. But but I'm not he could have said I'm not going to say a word until I get a lawyer and yeah. there's nothing they could have done about that either. Nope. But he didn't know but they rights. had they
0: were authority figures he was a 16 year old kid with a 72 IQ and they, they knew it and he wasn't they he just, was under the impression that you know, there was nothing them. he
1: could do yeah he just straight up railroaded him
0: yeah so uh, Damien sentenced to death Jesse uh, Jason Sentence to life. sentenced to life and the documentary would come out two years later in 96 I believe 90, November of 96 the, the first documentary um, Paradise Lost would come out on HBO and it would sparked this huge movement of people believing in their innocence all over the world, all over the country and all over the world. People would come together. There was a website that, that was formed. Celebrities yeah. started getting on
1: board. There's two websites that are formed now. Yeah. I'm sure there's more than that. West, well the, I mean but there's two that completely contradict each other. You got CNN and Fox News for the West Memphis 3. What's those? You got westmemphis3.com and you got westmemphis3facts.com. <laughs> <laughs> well, wasn't one
0: of them org? The original one was .org. Oh, is
1: it .org? Okay. But anyways,
0: yeah, I mean people start get, uh, getting together for meetings and they start going to the different motions and there's obviously a lot of uh appeals that continue to happen um the, uh, at first, the attorneys are not going to give up, but of course, all the appeals come back to Judge Burnett, and Judge Burnett wanted this result all along, and he mm-hmm. denies, 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 and years are passing by. The movement has grown strong. We've got uh, people, uh, the likes of Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam. Uh, we've got uh, Johnny Depp, who's, who's uh, crusading for them. They're putting money towards their defense. Uh, who are some of the other notable...
1: Uh, um, celebrities, sure. uh, the Dixie the Chicks made comments
0: of. about uh, Terry Hobbs. There's a lot of stuff that starts coming. The fingers start getting pointed. Oh yeah,
1: they were being in other directions. At that time. <laughs> Initially, it
0: was John Mark Byers, and, that, and the, the first Paradise Lost and the second Paradise Lost really pointed at John Mark Byers as potentially the person who actually
1: did it. Yeah, I wonder if he realized that during the filming that he was yeah. giving himself putting all this evidence against him. Potentially,
0: but he was. They were all getting paid. Everybody was getting paid, and that was also another um, big reason why that the. the, the defense of these boys thought that they're like some new lawyers came about and they thought well they weren't given a fair defense because their defense attorneys were getting paid by hbo yeah and and this and that there's a lot of controversy surrounding the uh hbo documentary and how maybe they didn't get a proper defense because there was all this documentation going on there's people in the courtrooms right yada 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 but ultimately without that hbo documentary without all of this case dies this case dies and like damien continues to say to this day when he's interviewed, he's like, this is not strange. This happens. This has always happened. This, always, this happens all over the place. The only difference is ours was documented. That's the right. The trial was documented. Um, we were interviewed, and
1: that's why I'm free today. So basically, I that's mean... That's so scary. Yeah. it's <laughs> so, like one of my biggest fears. It's like getting convicted of a crime you didn't do. Right. You know, and then there's just this overwhelming I think coincidental if you put a evidence.
0: I think if you put a microscope on just about anybody, they, you can make them look guilty. Of yeah. almost anything, you know what I mean? Maybe if you really analyze everything, like we do stuff we don't even realize would make us look guilty on a daily basis. Like the stuff we yeah. Google for the show, the stuff.
1: That oh well, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Our search history alone, <laughs> right. Yeah, that could uh, that could really mess us up.
0: Uh, the direct the director of the Lord of the Rings came out in their defense. Um, it was uh, there was a the band the Super Suckers. Um, and keep in mind, the, the, the West Memphis Three knew nothing about any of these bans or anything because they'd been locked up for a while as this movement's growing and a lot of money's being thrown. And some big time lawyers start right. agreeing to defend them um, if they could ever get an appeal. They, they, they want a retrial because obviously this trial they felt was unfair. And some, some big name lawyers come in and they, they offer to help their cause for free without actually even being paid. That's crazy. And, but ultimately what it took was Judge Burnett finally leaving his post as the judge in yep. that county and a new judge coming in, Judge Laser coming in, um looking at it, um set a date for a new trial to be about. And this mm-hmm. is so many years later, man. We're jumping ahead because this case is just completely exhausting to us. We realize we're going to miss stuff. Yeah, uh, and it's just it's just a whirlwind of a case. It's something that should be done in several parts, but we're trying to cram it into one. <laughs> These are the highlights. <laughs> this, yeah, this is the highlight. Episode. Watch this the documentaries is a, if you have you know half a day. This is an open conversation about the West Memphis Three. That's what's going on. Absolutely. Here. Yeah. So after their appeals had been denied by Judge Burnett, um, we're talking ninety nine. He's he denies the. Uh, the uh, appeal. I mean, mm-hmm. there's appeals going on for decades. Meanwhile, they're in prison. There's new. There's two more documentaries that were made. Uh, he's denying their requests all the way up to 2010. Let's just fast forward that, right? He, he's just keeps. Meanwhile, denying it. Meanwhile, uh, Damian Echols is on death row, being threatened. His life is at stake here. Um, he's getting, getting no health care. Getting no health care. His teeth are falling out. He's getting. You he's know, losing his vision because I mean, they're planning on killing him. So why Absolutely. are they going to properly take care of him? He spent right. 10 years. I think approximately ten years in isolation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, when he when they finally get out, which we're leading up to. I mean, this dude can barely walk because he's been used to walking in shackles for the last twenty years. God. You know, he's not used to like daylight. Like he he almost wants to collapse when he goes outside. That's how bad it was. He didn't know about the internet. <laughs> I mean, except for like yeah. people have written letters about you know all the advances and like in the yeah. mov- the movement. Like imagine, how people are all on. Imagine their side. taking
1: a break from the world between ninety 96- six. In 2011, right? That's huge, right? It's huge. Yeah. So go ahead and wrap it up for us, Mike. What what happens? Uh, so finally, in 2011, new um, judges in place. New judges in place. David Laser. Yep. As you uh, explained earlier, and he schedules a hearing for October first, where a new trial date will new, be set. Right. Right. And then uh, they ended up using a plea arrangement known as the Alfred plea. So out of nowhere, pretty much. Yeah. The, the, I think the judge lined it up
0: right, lined mm-hmm. up a deal. He, he realized that um, most likely, if this went to trial, it was going to they were going to be found in you know innocent this time. Yeah. And rather than do a long, lengthy, expensive trial, um, that I'm sure he recognized all the, so much so much support that they've had for their innocence and so much information that's out there. Right they go to the three boys and they offer boys, they're men at this point. What am I talking about? Yeah. And men. offer them what we've talked about in the past, something called an Alfred plea, which mm-hmm. it's very complicated.
1: It is. It's just a it's weird very, plea, a right? silly thing. It's kind of a don't ask, don't tell type plea. It's just like, we just take it for what it is and we all carry on. So everyone's it's, happy. It's,
0: it's their way of admitting, admitting that the state had enough against them to which find them, didn't. to find them guilty, <laughs> which drove them nuts. Now, Jason these, these kids had they, they had morals like Jason more than anything, what mattered to him was was that he wanted the public opinion of him to know that he didn't do this. He wanted to be known as innocent because he know he knows he didn't do it right He would have stayed in prison he would have stayed and and ultimately he wanted another trial where it, he was found innocent in the end. He wanted to go through yeah, the whole did. trial. The only reason he agreed to this Alfred plea was because of Damien Eccles, the fact that he was on death row and he may not live to see another trial completed
1: exactly. and in the
0: end they lost the first trial. Yeah. And who knows, they just, do you really want to risk that again?
1: Right. Let's just take this plea and get out at least. Yeah.
0: So the Alfred plea, basically by them saying, okay, we admit that the state had enough to find us guilty, but we also say that we're innocent, mm-hmm. allowed them to walk out that day and there, no parole, no
1: nothing. They were free. Free men probably it, it's, just- It's almost like saying, we realize the state made a mistake, but we're not going to retaliate. We're right. not
0: going to sue. That was we're another cool thing. We're cool with this. They were, they were basically giving Fine. up their ability to sue the city. Yeah. And the police station, all that, right. and whoever found them guilty.
1: Like, uh, that's all kind of wrapped up in that Alfred plea. Yeah. So. That's where it gets complicated, but yeah. Yeah.
0: And so they got out, and obviously they started doing a lot of interviews, and, and um, they talked to the uh, Paradise Lost HBO documentary yeah. series. It's cool to see the guys like It was later. super cool. Yeah, see, see them sit in a room together. And yeah. It's just like. Wow.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they missed a huge part of their lives, man. Going you know. went away for a long time.
0: Yeah, and Damien's done a ton of interviews, and he's written books. Didn't I, I would be interested to read a Damien Eccles book if we ever have time. Yeah. But we're probably going to move on to the next case, you know? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you we're know? taking a week off next week. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but that, but I think I'm done with this case for a while. Yeah, I'm done. I don't want to hear <laughs>
1: these names ever again.
0: Yeah, so they get out. But, I mean, we can't uh, skip over all the Terry Hobbs accusations that kind of came about
1: later on. Mm-hmm. There's... Terry Hobbs, uh, which, day, is Damien, Steve, which is Stephen Branch's uh, stepdad, by so
0: the way. So uh, John Mark Byers, uh, the, the, he kind of died down on whole, uh, the whole idea of him uh, committing these murders. Mm-hmm. Um, he turned to the side of the West Memphis Three, free the West Memphis Three, and had the stickers on his truck in the last documentary. Yeah, um, and he was all about uh, these boys are innocent. What a character <laughs> change! These boys are innocent, and they start pointing the ter- uh, the finger at Terry Hobbs. There was a, a hair that was found in the uh, in the shoelaces, apparently, uh-huh. that was linked potentially to Terry Hobbs. Now the boys played it at the Hobbs residence all the time, right? And it was. I mean, when you're talking about... What are you going to do with that? You can't... What are you going to do with that? He has a very violent past where um, Pamela had been seen kissing a Mexican guy, and Terry Hobbs lost his mind and shot the guy, I believe, in the oh, stomach. Shit. And the guy I almost died initially that. and then later to, ended up late, later on dying of complications of surgery, trying to trying to fix the shooting wound. That he's a, he's a, he's a, there's a lot on him yeah. if you look into Terry Hobbs and he the i think the biggest problem was that he wasn't talking for so long. He went dark, like he moved away Dude, and went you know, dark he, he and like so of course the suspicions are going to keep going and, and going if you're not there. And he didn't say much in him. the
1: documentaries. I mean, he was kind of just sitting
0: on the couch he was like, one of the 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 uh he was one of the few people that agreed to or didn't
1: agree to the payments to actually be a part of it. So yeah. That's why you pretty much only saw him like in court and stuff. Yeah. Well, you saw him a few times in the house uh in the Hobbs' house where Pamela was talking or there was a few times where he said, you know, it's it's hard to to see my wife like this, to see mm-hmm. her lose her son or whatever, right? But he was never really like tore up about it. But it was his stepson, and, and his, we've talked about how it's harder for a man to create a relationship with a with a child that's not his right. than it is a woman. I believe
0: there was there was uh, talk about how after after um, he his wife had been seen kissing the Mexican guy. Yeah. was. Um, obviously a racist guy kept bringing up the guy who was Mexican. It seemed like he was way more mad about that. Yeah. (laughs) But anyways, he said that he's, he wasn't going to get even, he was going to get revenge. And this was leading up to the, the boys being murdered. He had threatened revenge upon her. And so there was that. And then there, his movements on the night the boys went missing were suspect. Some people said that he had, um, he had been seen, um, like, uh, with the boys that Mm -hmm. night. And then he claims that he never saw him that day. He says that, he got home from work and they were already out on their bikes and that he never saw them that day. Mm-hmm. There's talk that he went looking for them with his, with his good buddy mm-hmm. um, and left his daughter with her, with that guy's wife. Um, and he went look searching for the boys. But then there's also talk that he was just playing guitar with his buddy. And mm-hmm. that he was coming and going from his buddy's house that night, like right. coming, showing up playing some guitar and then leaving Um, and left his daughter because he had a four-year-old daughter and he would leave the daughter with the buddy's um, wife to be watched. And so there's a lot of speculation about his whereabouts that night. Right. A lot of speculation about how violent of a – he was a shitty person, really. Yeah. When you look into his past. And same thing with Mark Byers, man. Mark, yeah. I'm not letting Mark off the hook just because like he came around to the whole idea that these boys were innocent and he's like a crusader no. for them now. Fuck that.
1: He probably knew that shit all along.
0: There's more evidence <laughs> that points to him than any of those three boys. Not I agree. to say that there's enough to convict Mark Byers. Obviously, there's not. Right. But there was more than there was for the West Memphis three that were convicted. Yeah. And his his mentality, uh, his his he's just all over the place. Yeah. And I just don't trust the guy. I don't like the guy. He he ended up doing a lie detector test in the uh, second west, uh, the second documentary from HBO, mm-hmm. and he you know was found to be truthful, but he was on all kinds of different medications at the time, and I don't trust a damn lie detector There's test no anyway. What and he's high fiving yeah. the the the, tech, the the expert afterwards, <laughs> like yeah, I knew I was I knew I was innocent. So like, hell yeah! How would you react <laughs> like if somebody said you killed your daughter and you did a
1: lie detector? You'd be like, of course I didn't fucking like <laughs> Make me down to Smokey's. Would you get excited that you passed it? You'd be like, duh, I fucking passed it. Right, yeah. You're not acting like you just won the damn state championship. Right, I knew I could pass that thing even though I was lying. Nah, hot damn, that's what practice it fucking felt off. like. Appreciate you working with me after hours, Daryl.
0: Yeah, all, <laughs> oh, the bite the bite thing too. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, so um, after they'd been convicted um, and, and uh, the West Memphis Three, the West Memphis Three mm-hmm. group came about, they, they hired um, a professional pathologist or whatever. Yeah,
1: he worked on Ted Bundy's case.
0: Yeah, so this guy knew his shit. They yeah. brought him in and he started meeting with Dan Stidham who was Jesse's attorney Right. because Jesse, uh, Stan, Dan Stidham was the only attorney that Around through all of this, he, he made a promise to Jesse's dad that I'm gonna see this through until they are free, right? And he continued to work even though they the defense never got like didn't get paid until like 10 years later or some shit, they were coming out of pocket the whole time, and all this stuff. But Dan Stidham was so so believed in their innocence that he stuck through, and so the he became part of the the movement of the free the free of the Westminster Three, started working with people that were just became obsessed with this case, right? They got connected to this professional um, medical examiner mm-hmm. and. Uh, he looked at the all the uh, crime scene photos. He attained all the crime scene photos and he found that the so-called buckle mark on the eye of uh, Michael Moore was actually right. a bite mark and they wanted to start, you know, open up the idea of getting bite impressions from people involved in the case. Get, yeah. F- that bit, let's let's prove that these three that are locked up didn't have anything to do with it. Let's get bite impressions. So they did right. that. Bites didn't mark, it didn't match what that was on the... That's kind of conclusive evidence that these kids... Yeah. Or that That they didn't do it. And then they wanted to get... They started talking to uh, Mark Byers about potentially getting his teeth impressions. And there, you know, there's all these, he starts coming up with all these wild uh, reasons why his teeth had gotten either removed or knocked out. First, he's saying he got into a fight about his innocence with somebody and the guy had knocked all his teeth out. So now he has dentures. And then he started saying that he was taking medication for this brain tumor and that's why his teeth fell out and he had to get dentures. He had them damn teeth pulled. He, it, it seems as though he had them pulled, and then they were like, "Well, can How convenient." We? And he was like, "I'll offer up. I'll give you a consent form that, that to the dentist that took my my X rays." And they're like, "Okay, well then let's do that." And he's like, "I don't need to prove nothing to you." Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, "Wait, what?" Wait. Just, <laughs> so we called you on that, and now you don't want to. Huh? Now you
1: don't want to do it, yeah.
0: right? It's, it's just so many weird things: the knife, the teeth, just and and just his character overall, his, his sketchy character, yeah. his his um, the
1: fact that he was angry at Christopher that night, the
0: fact that he had admitted to uh punishing him that and, that and day him that, night, yeah. that day um and then told him to go clean the driveway and left i think it's possible he came back and found that that christopher had not cleaned the driveway like he said and he was gone with his friends went out found him, lost his mind beat beat christopher into oblivion and then the other boys were there witnessing it and he had he had, had to, to do something so he I mean, just tied him up christopher him was him the him. only one that was mutilated yeah that to me you know says something a little bit you know why why just him Um, I I don't know, man. I if I had to point a finger in any direction, obviously it doesn't mean anything, and it's all speculation. And this is all our uh, opinions, so uh, nobody, you know, get upset. But right, I I think Christopher or John Mark Byers. If I had to choose anyone in this story, it'd be him over Terry Hobbs. Even though I think Terry Hobbs is a real piece of work, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't I wouldn't really count anybody out though. But
1: I mean I feel I, like Terry it, Hobbs is too self-centered to give a shit about these boys. I feel like he's living his own life. Yeah. Coming home, taking it out on his wife. Like I don't feel like he's he's messing with these well, kids. Let's not
0: forget that there was also we didn't mention that um one one scrap of evidence that was found is uh the one of the boys were wrapped they were wrapped in sheets or whatever. Uh mm-hmm. there was a uh hair that was an African-American hair that had been found. So mm-hmm. there was a hair that was at the crime scene, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like you know these. I don't think from I didn't gather that these kids knew any black people or were like, you right. know, persi- consistently hanging out with them. There was no black family members that we knew of, so that's kind of strange. And then you connect the, uh, the uh, chicken restaurant as well, right? And the guy bleeding and that Bojangles. the Bojangles restaurant. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. know, right? That is, and so there's always the the prospect that it could have been uh, just a stranger truck driver that rolled through. There's always that, but I think the motive. Like I think if it was a stranger, it would have been sexually motivated. I I can't. Mm-hmm. This seemed to be seemed to me to be a what do they call that a, a passion a rage kill. kill. All rage this kill. seemed to be like someone lost their their temper and went overboard, and then it, they went so far that they couldn't turn back and that potentially beat one of them so bad. But then there's the tying up aspect. If they would have just beat whoever it was, freaked out and got angry. Why tie him up? Why not just beat them all to death? You and know the
1: fact that they didn't leave any real hard evidence says that it was well. I guess he could have cleaned it up after the fact, right? It it, it
0: definitely seems as though it was done elsewhere, and this was more of a dump site to me. Mm-hmm. There, I mean, you would have found some blood it, on that bank. I was about it. to say, well, the fact that the, there's no blood means that it was done somewhere else, right? Seems so. to be more than one person. It does. It's, it's just such an interesting, just, you just, you rack your brain all day wondering who the hell did this, you know? I know. What the hell happened that night? I know. It'll
1: yeah. That's why this case still still yeah. has
0: legs after all these years, and you you know you yeah. still see people talking about it. and that's why this case drives me
1: crazy. I hate doing open
0: ended cases. Right. Yeah, okay, that's why we're not we don't, doing this anymore. That's why we've done so few, if any, <laughs> have we ever done a like uh, an unsolved case like this? Not really. Oh, uh, we did the no. We pretty much we did the FBI guy that killed his family, but we pretty much he just never got found, but we know he did it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know who the hell did this one, man. Right. But I think it is interesting because. uh Later on, Damien would would jump on the Terry Hobbs train and say that he knows Terry Hobbs did it. It's like, dude, you're doing the same thing you got convicted for. You yeah, know, right. like we really don't have any real proof other than right. the hair. But the hair could have gotten there from any of their home. You know, like if if a if a Damien Eccles hair was found on those boys in the, in the in the rope tying them, mm-hmm. okay, that makes okay. You're fucking. How the hell did that get there? Yeah. But Terry Hobbs, his, this is one of his kids. They're obviously yeah. at his house all the time. So yeah. his defense is like, yeah, of course a hair could be there. They were, yeah, exactly at my
1: house that day. You know, like um, what about Terry Hobbs' teeth? Were they ever? I, uh, they weren't checked out. Were I don't
0: know. I can't speak to that for sure. That's but he finally came out and talked many years later. I want to say 2013. He came out and broke his silence and talked about it. Damn, he looks old too. <laughs> but <laughs> Did not age well. Right. <laughs> he probably, I, I, you know what? I think they said in the documentaries that something happened to his teeth too, suspiciously. Well, of, course. of course. Maybe it was Hobbs he and may uh, Byers. Dentures. Maybe he it may was Hobbs have, and
1: Byers. Who knows? May have had dentures, anyways.
0: Who knows? But um, definitely comment your thoughts on this case if you'd like. I mean, everybody has their opinions, and I'm like, you know, feel free to tell us what we missed. We have a ton of stuff. We probably have stuff written down in front of us that we missed, but we only have. So much time in life. We only have... (laughs) In life. And Michael drove across town and his his daughter's here and stuff. We just can't be here all day doing this.
1: (laughs) And we want to be done with this case. We loved it. Like I said, we loved it, but we want to be done with it. I love it and hate it. Right. Yeah. This this case. Tragedy. Tragedy that it's never
0: been solved. And it's a real tragedy that the wrong people got convicted and put away. Potentially. Yeah, it is. I mean, like we said, we're still not completely writing off the fact that Damien and the boys could have potentially... You never know. I mean, look at Shonda Shearer. Shearer, you know, those girls that were around the same... They were teenagers, did some heinous acts to another young girl, you know? Mm -hmm. We've seen cases like this happen before where kids do stuff like this, and then there is a a ritualistic thing to it where there's a Satanism or... Yeah. We've seen it. It's not out of the realm of possibility that Damien did it. Maybe, you know, it was a bad day and...
1: Yeah, like we said earlier, like he had a lot of mental Dar- issues, he had some he dark have, sides. He could have blocked, he could have blacked out and yeah. done it. Like he could have he could have snapped. There's still a lot of people that believe that the that they so, did get the right guys originally. So in 2013, have you seen this book Untying the Knot? I've heard about it. I haven't seen it. Okay. I haven't read it. It's, it's we called read John Mark Byers and the West Memphis 3. There's a lot of books, there's
0: a lot of documentaries. It's by Greg Greg Day? Yeah. I mean, we read Devil's Knot. And it was very extensive, and great book. And it gets highly; it's highly rated for a reason. I mean, uh, yeah. the writer, Mara Leverett, did a great job. So it is; it is a great book. And we watched all the documentaries. So, yeah. What more do you want from us, guys? What do you, what <laughs> do, you want? This from us? is one week of preparation. <laughs> That's like funny. we said. Tell us what you want, and maybe we'll follow up on this someday. You yeah. know, if anything else comes to light, we'll talk more about it, and we'll we'll discuss it. If you guys email us it about we'll this read. case,
1: we'll read into it, and maybe we'll read "Untying the Knot" and see. Yeah what's going on with that maybe we'll do a, an, uh, a part two yeah you can know this was supposed to be a whole just see what that's about
0: yeah so yeah uh, we hope you guys enjoyed it enjoyed it enjoyed it alright that was West Memphis 3 back in uh, early 2018 we recorded that one hope you guys enjoyed it uh, I want to get to our sponsor this week of as always Oh My Gaia Oh My Gaia is an innovative all natural deodorant fragrance and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum free products their innovative line of deodorants Deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. At Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural paraben and aluminum-free organic ingredients. Here's a few scents: unscented, vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle. Uh, we have our own scent called True Crime Pine, which is amazing. It will uh, get you out of uh, a bind as well. It, it covers your tracks uh, in murder. It's a, it's a known fact. There's also some new scents that she has coming out called Sailor, Oh Baby, uh, Fireside, which is kind of on and off. It's it sometimes is available, sometimes it's not. It's one of my absolute favorites. Fireside smells incredible. Uh, she's also officially adding bergamot, amber, and sweet pea, and patchouli. Um, and some exciting news as well uh, in regards to Oh My Gaia. She's now getting into the incense industry. She's going to be putting out incense so your house can smell epic as well. Uh, Some of the uh, she's going to start out uh, as far as incense with true crime pine and also exciting. She's letting us give away some. Oh, my guy to a lucky listener right now. Uh, This person's going to get uh, some true crime pine deodorant as well as true crime pine incense to try out. And I went ahead and picked someone who reached out to us this week in a tweet and has our stickers and put them on her vehicle. Mary Reisner at Cloud9 underscore 72 on Twitter. Tweeted us a picture of our True Crime Guys uh, Galaxy sticker on her ride. I believe it's a Scion she drives. Uh, she said, showing some love for my favorite True Crime podcasters. Thanks for the stickers, guys. Keep creeping. Mary Reisner, congratulations. You just won some Oh My guys because you reached out and tweeted to us a picture of that sticker on your car. It looks awesome. And so hit us up, message us on Twitter, and I'll send you an Oh My Guy care package, some True Crime Pine, incense, and deodorant. So thank you. And as always, with with, Oh My Gaia, if you use the code word creeper, C-R-E-E-P-E-R, it saves you 10% at checkout, whatever you buy on Oh My Gaia. So definitely go get your deodorant. Don't get cancer in in your pits. Uh, Don't be using that aluminum in your pits, guys. So thank you, Oh My Gaia. Now, all of you guys who uh, take the time to go and write iTunes reviews, click five stars on iTunes, I want to thank you guys and I'm going to give you guys shout-outs since the last uh, episode that we put out. Uh, we have Dounce 1997 Rangi Fula. I want to thank you. Erica Zepeda says, one of the best true crime podcasts around. We got the fire emojis rolling in. Marina Lovey, fire emojis. Uh, Dimps1127, fire emojis. Kimberly from Texas, fire emojis. But please stop with the fake accents. Never going to happen, Kimberly. Just deal with it. Uh, Hail Sat- Hail Satin. Uh, five star, that one almost got me. Five stars, one of the best true crime podcasts. Uh, Patrick Seminental, Seminental, Sim- yeah, Simental. Uh Five stars and a bunch of fire emojis. Love it. Uh, Zenny Wan, Zenny Wan, Zenny Uh said Bundy. Five stars, best true, uh, the best Ted Bundy story I've ever heard. Wow, thanks. Really love the Bundy episode, I guess. Uh, love Sweet Sam's five star. Thank you. Um, true story, Mama. Bunch of fire emojis. Oh my god. Uh, Heather Na- Heather, niece, Stina Bean 910 uh, Inara Joe Bill Ver Said fried, fried Nut 5 stars Love this show not to be weird or anything But if I played for the other team I'd bang you boys Like a cat in a pantry <laughs> uh, I love it Thanks, thanks Bill Ver uh, Lover Avenged 5 stars Beezus 555 five, five, Thank you Uh PP P. Poo, poo baby dippy Thank you for the five-star review. Vector Spot, S. Latham, and Thalina. Th- Thaliana. Thaliana, thank you for the five-star review. Thank all of you guys for taking the time to go do that. It helps the show a lot. That about does it for this Freeloader series release of West Memphis 3. Thank you, guys, and there will be uh, another – We'll just get to keep on trucking, man, and we'll keep putting out episodes. So, uh, look forward to a Patreon exclusive episode dropping like right now, right around the same time this comes out. So, yeah, if it's never been a better time to join Patreon, patreon.com slash true crime guys. $2 a month gets you all kinds of uh, content, bonus episodes. It gets you Michael's show, Higher Thoughts, where he gets on there in a higher state of mind and answers questions from, from uh, listeners and just spouts off about whatever's going on in his mind. A lot of times he has his wife on or he has different guests on. I love the show. You guys should also check that out. And uh, we do giveaways on Patreon. And, uh, yeah, there's all kinds of fun on there to be had. So, yeah, two bucks a month gets you a part, to be a part of the party. So it's never too late to join. And that about does it, guys. I'm tired of rambling, tired of being alone. I need Michael, my sidekick. And so I'm going to sign off. See you guys later. Keep creeping. Guys.
1: True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a garage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the Creeper Army. We out here making murder. Get murder, get murder. True crime, true crime. Guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was True Crime Garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the Creeper Army. We out here making murder charming.